Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. This is the start of the podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Talking Comics Podcast. It's Wednesday, September 21st, 2022, and you're listening to episode number 565. I am your host, Steve Say, and joining me for this week's show are Mr. Bob Ryer. Happy Equinox. Hey, hey. Joy Bertino is in the house. Do you remember the 21st night of September? Maurice White in the house. <laughs> and Aaron Amos is also here. Very ethnic. Okay, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we do it on Duncan Comics. Oh, yeah. Every week. That's us. <laughs> Every <It's> week. Ethnic. <laughs> putting out that ethnic energy. <laughs> All right. Um, we have, instead of a... All out bonanza of a show for we have a like a regular show this week, which Love is it. um yeah, like I'm I'm feeling it. I'm in the mood for it. We got lightning rounds, we got news, and then that's that's it. We're saving everything else for next week. And believe me, we've got it. We've already got some listener questions and other plans and things, and uh but we're gonna save it. We're gonna we're gonna relax this week, talk about some comics and uh quite a bit of News coming in from all all places, mostly Marvel and DC. But you'll see. You'll all see. All right. How's everybody feeling? Everybody good? Yowza. Thank you. All right. Get some energy rippling through the room. Is it big and ethyl uh, energy or ethnic energy? I'm, I'm uh, trying to decide. It's both. <laughs> Um, I don't really know. I, I, I got like, I feel like everything I've got to say is wrapped up in these news bits or in my lightning round. So let's do it. Let's, let's do, it. do it. Go first. This Go is for weird it. though. Like we don't have do any your, banter. Do your, do your Zeus accent and, and throw the lightning our way. Oh, here you go. <laughs> I, uh, I, I think I mentioned it last week, but I watched, uh, Thor Love and Thunder again when, uh, when I had COVID. Oh, I, uh, I got to, to sit down and, and reevaluate my opinion on the movie and let me tell you and you're like i still hate it (laughs) no no there are there are definitely aspects of it that still get me a little bit but i did appreciate a lot of the jane and jane and thor stuff a little bit more on the second go around um i still have my quibbles with with the film overall but it was there. There were definitely some voices ringing in my head as I was watching the movie and trying to to give it another shot. And uh, I came away really, you know, really enjoying it. And let me tell you something. Jealous Stormbreaker 
is <laughs> some of the best stuff out of either of those uh, Taika Waititi Thor movies. When that like axe hammer thing just kind of sidles in from off camera to find out like what the deal is, that is some good stuff. Thor got I love when they share a beer too. That's a good one. Yeah, when he pours the beer over it. It's great. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, um, I've been watching some of these reaction videos as people watch things because it's it's fun to see all sorts of different opinions, especially on something like this. And yeah, for the for the most part, people are very surprised. Seems like, and there's there's been lots of crying as I've watched people as we get to stuff at the end of this. It comes out soon on Disney. I think it's streaming already. It's on Disney but Plus. Yeah, yeah, that's how we watched it. Was on yeah, Disney Plus. Blu-ray is next week, so I don't want to spoil for people who've been waiting it out. But there's there's some. We I, I, Joey, I don't mean to speak for you, but I think we both had some quibbles as well with some of it. But it's the totality of how he gets to the emotional beats this time. In that it seems to just build as we go, and the the comedy gets swirled backwards a little bit, but it's still there. But there's some there's some stuff there's some did, stuff going on. Did anybody I, watch? Mm. Um, Steve, did you watch it on Disney Plus? Did you watch the making of? I didn't mm. watch the making of. Uh, well, did you watch thoughts on the movie? Did you watch the, the Disney Plus version of it? No, not yet. It's a little weird because they edited it right. They well, I yeah. That, I mean, they they edited that Did one they? scene with uh, with Axel. They changed some of the effects um, when CGI. he's kind of like floating head talking to Thor. Um, I I if you didn't show me the article online, I wouldn't even have noticed. Like mm-hmm. I, I I don't care about that. Um, but the formatting of it, I thought was strange. Like oh yeah, the opening scene with Gore. Like the whole bottom third of my screen was pitch black. It was like letterbox in this weird ass way. And I was like, that's a little bit strange, but maybe they're just doing it for the beginning. And then it's supposed to be the like full screen IMAX mega Marvel version or whatever. And then we get to the movie and it's in letterbox. Yeah. Hmm. It's so I I'm so mad because I watched, what was the last one they released? uh, Dr. Strange. Right. Yeah. And, and Eternals too, they did that, like the alternating aspect ratio with the IMAX stuff and then back to the normal film. And I hated it. It was annoying. It took me out of scenes because it was distracting. Yeah. So brutal. And like it's digital. So it's like not clean. Like the film is not transitioning cleanly. It's, I don't know, it, it, it's really annoying. And every time I watch a, uh, one of those Marvel movies on Disney, Plus, I like pick the option. That is like theatrical release. Like I don't want the IMAX. I don't want it. It just it bothers me. Yeah, because yeah, um, most of the Marvel movies are either two, three, five, or certainly more than two to one. And you go to IMAX, which is not, and that's got a. It, maybe it's cleaner looking, but now you've got the bars going up and down. <laughs> Where are you? And right. was that gore? Was the gore stuff full frame? No, absolutely not. Window, was... window box that in the middle or. Like Just from the bottom the up, bottom. like the, the bottom third was lopped off and it was all like kind of crushed up to the top. It was, it's a really weird a delivery mess. of that movie. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they like, they uploaded, like they, they formatted it wrong and like you go on there today <laughs> and they've updated it. But um, 
I mean, it's you know, it's still it's still completely watchable. I don't mean to to sound like yeah. uh, no, but know, it's or anything. <laughs> maybe maybe it's an ad for the for people buying the Blu-ray and 4K releases next yeah. week. <laughs> it's really it, it really bothered me with Eternals, but the reason why I brought up the making of is because they really go back to like the beginning of Chris Hemsworth as Thor, and I'm watching this making of, and I'm like, this feels like. This feels like, you know, he says it too in the documentary. He's like, he does his rap speech and they got it on film. And he's like, honestly, guys, like I had so much fun in his wonderful accent with his muscles and he's so handsome. But anyway, (laughs) um, and he's like, you know, honestly, I had so much fun doing this. It might be the last one making this one. I felt like it was the last one. We'll see what happens. And then um, and then like his son is there. And his Aww. son is like, his son is like, no, it can't be the last one. And Hemsworth is like, well, you'll have to take that up with Marvel. And uh, so, <laughs> so you know, I, I I don't know, like watching the making of and 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 thinking back on my reflections on the film too, like it really felt like a wonderful close for for that character and that arc. Now, obviously, we know he's not going anywhere, but I wonder if there's a way to use him in a kind of different way going forward that isn't because the other thing he says is he's like i never want to do this workout stuff again <laughs> like he, he like the mm-hmm. like the degree to which he d- yeah transformed his body for this movie he's like i hated it and i never want to do this again there's so- an article um with zach efron talking about his training for baywatch yeah and how physically demanding that was and how, how wrecked he was when that movie was over and during because well. Hemsworth too is he's getting up there, you know, like yeah. all, like all those OG Marvel actors that signed on when they were like thirty two are now mid in their forties, mid to late forties, right? Yeah, so like it's it's hard for him to do that over and over and over again. So I, I like I said at the end of Thor: Love and Thunder, and at, during this making of, I'm like, this feels like a transition for him and for this character. So we'll see what happens. I still think Old Man Thor somewhere down the line would be a ton of fun. Yeah, um, you can so get the granddaughters in. You could do yeah. all that stuff. You know what I want? I'm thinking. I want, and not to not to get into a whole thing here, but uh, I want a Marvel uh, Marvel Disney Plus show of Sif doing Journey into Mystery. Oh yeah, for sure. And oh, have a Sif yeah. spinoff. I think Jamie Alexander has been. Poor, poorly treated through throughout her Marvel career, and I know she loves playing the character. I would really, really like to see her do something or see them yeah. use her for something. Like there has to, not that there has to be a reason, but I wish that there was more of a reason of her popping up in Loki and then popping up in this movie, only to have these kind of bit parts and not play much of a role, but still hanging around. It would be amazing to give her her finally give her her own show. Yeah, and do in, something in the, really weird with it. In the first movie, particularly, she's really a presence. Second one, kind of. But wow, could couldn't you do the now do a new Asgard show and have her be a major portion of it? It would be wonderful. I, I'm in. It's mm-hmm. it's a bummer because like Jamie Alexander was like super hot around that first movie, like that first second yeah. movie. She had the, she had blind spot on TV. She oh, was doing right. movies. So like she was doing a lot at that, like those couple of years. So I, I feel like Marvel really missed the boat on capitalizing on her 
like yeah. fame. Not to say that she's not an awesome actress and should just play the part, period. But I think if they had the Disney Plus platform back then, they might have considered it. Hey, yeah. you know yes. what? Put her in Agatha Coven of Chaos. Ooh. Well, that could be cool. Uh, the last thing I'll say, and then we can move on, is uh, we also watched Captain America, the first Avenger, because we were Whoa. in My the favorite Marvel movie. A phase one. That movie, that movie is still so good. It's so good. I, I love every beat of that movie. Chris Evans is incredible as that character. Uh, what's his face? Hugo Weaving as oh. Red Skull is still one of my favorite Marvel villains. Yeah. Just chewing the scenery and doing such an incredible job. And oh my God, the effects on his face when mm-hmm. he takes that mask off and reveals the, first the, time. the Red yeah. Skull underneath. It looks, it still looks so good. Like you can say what you want about the, some of the older Marvel movie effects. They made that look incredible. Mm. So I love that movie. We had a really good time watching it. And what a cast, right? Tommy Lee Jones, Stanley Tucci. You know you who's get, in that you, movie? You, you get uh, Toby Jones. Uh, Toby Jones, but um, Jenna Coleman is in that movie. Oh, really? Yeah. She's she's one of the uh, she's one of the dates when they're supposed to go out dancing. Oh, really? She's, she's one of the two girls that's with with Bucky uh, when they meet up with Steve in the crowd. Yeah, totally. And fan theory is one of those girls ends up being Peggy's adversary in Agent Carter. Oh. Dottie, because that gets brought up during Civil War when Bucky mm. and Steve are flying to Siberia. I want a Jenna Coleman Constantine show. That's what I want. We'd like a Constantine show, but we maybe should save that. Well, for yeah, news. we'll be, get, we we'll be just, getting. You just we'll jump get, into the news now. Nah, I don't know. Nah. We've been doing that a lot lately. Let's let's do some comics. Okay, I want to get Aaron in here. Aaron, would you like to? Uh, Engage us with a lightning round. Sure. Good, sir. Uh, but I won't be able to say comics. I'm just going to say comic because I only have one. That's oh. all right. So I am continuing my run through the stuff I picked up at FlameCon some how many weeks later. Um, and it was actually a book I was going to talk about on a previous episode. But, you know, life happens and I wasn't able to be here. Anyway, it's called Like Father, Like Daughter. And it is by... Cat, uh, I'm going to pronounce her name the best I know how, Columbia, uh, Wayne Brown, David Aravina, uh, Matt Bowers, and Lisa Moore. So I was walking through the floor and I ran into this this creator and I thought it was, I was just looking at what she had to offer and I thought it was really interesting. It, the covers looked interesting. It was almost towards the end of where we were, of the path that we were taking. Um, And I'm just going to read a little bit about what it says, you know, the story here. Jim Ryder, father with superpowers, leaves his wife and daughter to become invulnerable. Uh, That's just basically like a Superman analog. The world's only superhero. Ten years later, his daughter Casey discovers that she has inherited the very superpowers that made her father leave their family. Uh, Looking for answers about her ability, she reconnects with her father, whom she hates. So, um, it is... I wasn't sure what to expect. So I think this is issues one through six. This was done by Kickstarter, uh, via Kickstarter. I believe there's additional, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, additional issues. And there's also a crossover with another character in uh, the sort of universe that they're creating here. Um, And I'm hoping to be able to pick up, I was doing some research and I think they might be at uh, NYCC. So I'm hoping to be able to reconnect there around the Geeks Out area and see what I can come up with. Um, But, you know, if I find more information, I'll let you know. But... I 
there's a couple of things, and you've probably heard me say this a couple of times already. When I was reading this story, again, something about the aesthetic and the, the, the tone of this story made me think, I think Bob will appreciate this. Um, and it was the teenage aspect, the, the, the angst of it. But I got to be honest, even though I sometimes sort of lean away from teenage angst, the subject matter was one that made me uh, sort of connect. I have a very complicated relationship with my, well, had a very complicated relationship with my dad. Um, and so I, I sort of invested in it from that perspective. So we find ourselves in this scenario where she's a, you know, the pretty girl at high school, uh, you know, the jock boyfriend, she's part of that in crowd. Um, she lives with her mom. She legitimately hates her dad. And it's primarily, like we said, because he chose to leave. He, he felt like, you know, you find out later the reasons why he left. And it's a sense, it's, it's not a big leap. It, essentially, if people realize who I am, I won't be able to be the asset to the world that I need to be, you know, and I won't be able to keep you all safe at the same time. So I have to leave to go do this. I have to make a choice. I think this is the right thing to do. She's young. She doesn't get it. She doesn't understand it. Essentially, she feels as though her dad has just dumped him. He's a deadbeat dad. He doesn't connect. He doesn't do anything. What she doesn't know is obviously he's been sort of keeping tabs on her all along. Um, but, you know, staying, uh, you know, staying away, you know, keeping his distance. She has just developed an entire, like, like thorough hate, hatred of him, but realizes that through a series of events, she has inherited his power, which is something she hates, makes her hate him even more because she doesn't want the powers. So, you know, she tries to figure out her and her two friends. I think one Stephanie. I can't remember the guy's name. I apologize. Uh, there's uh, two friends, of course. There's always two friends um, that help her try to figure out. She leans into the one. Well, he's not really a friend. He, he's a nerd at school, and she recognizes that he is. he loves all things invulnerable, and he loves comics. So she enlists him to try to walk through how to, A, test her powers, and B, um, figure out where they came from, figure out whatever she can about them, and she figures he's got the nerdy, he's got a brain that's nerdy enough to help her with that process. Um, so they sort of become close, and they begin to go on this process, begin to figure out, you know, how to test the limits of her powers. While they're doing that, something happens, and there's a little bit of a public display. She's able to get away, but there's a public display, but it's enough to put her back on her dad's radar, and then he comes back, and that begins this whole process of them trying to work through you know, that relationship, that love-hate relationship. He's your dad, so there's a part of you that will just love him no matter what, but he's your dad, and because you love, you want to love him so much, you hate him for not being your dad. Um, and they talk, they, they walk through that relationship quite a bit, back and forth. Sometimes I'm, I'm like, I, I, as literally as I'm reading it through issue through issue, sometimes I'm like, I get it. I understand why you're saying this and all these things. And another part of me, I'm just like, ah, oh, you're so young. You're so <laughs> you're so immature. <clears throat> you don't understand the responsibilities of adulthood, and because of that, you're blaming him for everything. So that that I felt like that was a pretty interesting way of of sort of couching the story. And I say that because we this is not groundbreaking in, ter in terms of a story arc, but we often see it as a quick plot point and then it moves on. But this, you know, then something happens and then they're you know, they're the best of friends. And it was like that previous 16 years never happened. Well, that's not the case here. It's a push-pull. It's a push-pull. And I can't help but think that this is somehow based on the comic of a complicated relationship that the author has. Mm. But 
you know, I, I, I enjoyed the story. It definitely is a beginning. I think there's going to be more issues um, that are coming out. I'm, I'm checking Kickstarter and all that stuff just to see uh, mm-hmm. where things are. But I enjoyed it. I will say the art specifically didn't speak to me um, all the way through. It has a certain quality to it that is, I don't want to say amateurish, but um, no, not amateurish. It, it, it has a certain quality that seems like it's almost resisting that superhero quality that we were used to seeing. That, those, that flowing, sweeping, so many actions in a panel type uh, art where, you know, you, you, you can visualize, you know, the action and all that stuff. It really, I think it's lending more to the, the high school or, or, or relationship side of it. So I don't think the art was really trying to be that bombastic, you know, uh, you know, visual that it Mm. is, but the story itself I thought was, was interesting. And it was an interesting subject matter to sort of investigate, you know, in a story like this without it simply being a, a, you know, a three page plot point that suddenly is cleared up because, you know, now they have to fight to whatever, you know, there's always some scenario there. A couple of other things that I thought were really interesting. They really lean into comics, nerd them and well, all things nerd them. I don't know if you're a sharp viewer and you're flipping through the pages, you get to see that he is a huge doctor who fan. They don't actually mention it right away, but you get to see that he's a huge doctor who fan. And if you're paying attention, you get to see that he's very much dressed like the tenant doctor who, um, uh, he looks just like the David Tennant Doctor Who in a couple of scenes. It's just a couple of Easter eggs all throughout that, you know, lead to various points of nerddom. So that's what it was. That's my one book. I, I appreciate it. I'm going to continue to sort of research this, uh, as we said with the other ones. I'm going to research this creator and continue to try to shed light on them. Comics Uno um, is essentially, I think, the company that she's created uh, that's, that put this out and I think some of her other work. So some of their other work. So that's where I am. Shout out to Dan. Aaron, it's funny that you mentioned me in that, as you described this, uh, the crazy name is Kat. What's her last name? Uh, Kalamia, I think it is. C-A-L-A-M-I-A. Okay. That's particularly once you mentioned the story arc and the, the, the plot and then the art. I bought the first issue from her. She was at, what's that back part of the NYCC, the block? Uh, yeah, I think that's a really oh, yeah. out stuff. She is, was yeah. back over there, and she had only the first issue. Well, I got them all. I, 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 no, I bought it. It's signed. It's in a box in in with my indie books, and I think I might have even talked about it on the show. I really did enjoy the first issue, and then nothing yeah. ever came of it. Well, it's it's now it has it has. I'm doing some research. She had a whole uh, sort of stand back there, and there was. I did. I took a chance on this one. In hindsight, I regret not picking up the other ones. Um, there, there was. She seemed. It seems like they're creating this whole universe um, uh, around these characters, at least to the extent that they created this little crossover with the other work that they're doing there. So now I'm like, ah, I kind of wish I would have seen what where this was going. I kind of wish I had picked up, you know, more. So I'm going to definitely look for them at, at NYCC. Um, and hopefully, and also, you know, keep my eye on their Kickstarter and, and yeah. the difference. Please, please remind me, uh, this is inside baseball, but please remind me before we go to the con, because I will bring that, if I can find the first issue, where I think I know where it is. Yes. Yep. And we'll, we'll hook up. And look, I have this collectible. It's your first issue. <laughs> that you probably, <laughs> yeah. that you probably stapled together yourself back in the day. And I, oh, I mean, that would be really flattering. I would yeah, I think yeah. so. 
That would be cool. I was going to say, I'll bring my, but you know, they already signed it. So I guess. Uh, yeah. You can have them sign it again. Like, here, can you sign the back now? <laughs> so no, I think it's good. And, yeah. I, I enjoyed it a lot. There was, there were all that angst you're talking about. I got from that first issue. I mean, it really, it, it leans into it so quickly that you're really brought up to speed in the first five or six pages about the complicated relationships. And I, th- I agree with you. I think it's someone working through their mm-hmm. own personal problems who then turn that into yep. a larger universe. And isn't that the way a lot of great fiction happens? So yeah, I, good I, on her. I, I definitely felt like it was just a little too spot on to be, <laughs> <laughs> to be just, you know, fiction. I was like, yeah, there's something going on here. Um, they have an Instagram page. So you can oh. check out, you know, what's going on on Instagram. So that's kind of how I'm, I'm trying to keep my, my eyeballs open to see what comes up. But yeah. But I agree with you with the artwork. It was, it was really interesting. It is, it is not Archie exactly. No. But it's not superhero either. It's somewhere in between. Yeah. Really I found is. that fascinating. It's kind of it's, flat, which, you know, I don't mind. Yeah, it's like I, I don't. I didn't mean to imply that it was bad. Um, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. In case well, it informs the work completely. Way. Yes, yes, exactly. It, it's appropriate for this work. It's yep. not appropriate for. It wouldn't be appropriate for say like you Justice know, League, Duggan's X Men, or something <laughs> right, like that. Yeah, exactly. Yep. It's appropriate for for this work, and I mm-hmm. think it, it does what it's supposed to do. Yeah, the and emotional I, beats are there. They're delivered by the artwork. That's not yeah. the issue. Yeah. And I tell you, there. Speaking of emotional beats, they really do lean into a couple of things. Is you know, it's it's a it's a high school scenario in the, you know, in twenty twenty two or twenty twenty one. I'm assuming, mm-hmm. and you know, things are that are relevant to that experience. You know, she depicts, you know, in the book. So you know, don't want to spoil too much, but it's there. Yeah, and, 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 and there's a couple of scenes that are that are really sort of they really catch you. They really, you know. Yeah, they really catch you. The I'm really thrilled. I'm really thrilled to say that that work continued to the point that it, all these years later, you're you're able at a con to pick it up and buy the collected works because it started. It seemed like on such a modest level, mm-hmm. and someone found a way. And we've had you know in, in our time on Talking Comics, we've had people go from that small beginning to being oh, they're doing real books. And all of a sudden, wow, that, that's a name everybody knows and not just us. So here's here's hoping for Cat. Yeah. Great, great news. Um, Thank you, Aaron. Yeah, no, of course, of course. So Shaz a Dam, there we are. Shaz a Dam, exactly. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Something from way back, coming back around and being continued and the two of you meet up in the middle like that. That's pretty cool. Full circle moment. The yeah. comics bringing people together. Comics. Get out of here. As they, do, as they do. <laughs> awesome. All right. Bob, why don't you go oh, ahead? Oh, sure. Well, I'm, I'm yakking up a storm, so why not? So I've spoken about this first book quite a lot over the years, so I won't go over long tonight. But as I bought this as a birthday gift for someone, I did a reread of Bandette Volume 1, Presto, by Paul Tobin and Colleen Coover. Now, uh, let me just say, I could not ever make a better young reader recommendation than this delightful series, which is one of my favorites throughout our Talking Comics era. It's this caper cast sort of thing with a young art thief, and it's just amazing. You should read Bandette. Dark Horse does a great series of reprints of these, 
and you should read Bandette, and I'll yak some more about that somewhere down the road. Next up, <laughs> Ms. Marvel Venom by Jody Hauser, Dave Wachter, Eric Arseniega, and Travis Lanham. Now, you longtime listeners know of my disdain for Venom as a character. Heck, I didn't even know Eddie Brock had a son, let alone that he was now Venom. Oh, yeah. Dude. Dude, Wait, what? I was yeah. shook. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, when did that happen? Uh, who knows? Uh, but he knows. Knows. John knows. Uh, John knows. John knows. John's son knows. John's son knows. I know about the son, but I didn't realize that he was Venom now. Yeah, he is Venom. Now, this is the God. final chapter of this series of one-shots. <laughs> you know, it ends in typical Marvel fashion, so to speak. No spoilers. It does allow Kamala to show off all the things we love about her as a hero and a person. And, you know, Venom wasn't awful. I, I'm just going to say it. Whoa, I shouldn't, but you I'm heard gonna, it here, folks. You heard it here first. Uh, definitely not awful. Batgirls number 10, Becky Cloonan, Michael W. Conrad, Neil Goggle, Google, uh, Gouge. I'll go for Gouge. Rico Renzi and Becca Carey. It's chapter two of Batgirl Summer. And opens with these lines. Weird or neighbors, we all have them. The callous recluse, the kid with the matches, the one man who's always shouting. The stranger next door could be anyone, an ex-con, a predator, someone who likes pineapple on pizza. Now, <laughs> far be it from me to equate pineapple on pizza with ne'er-do-wells, but, you know, it's, it's, it's out there. Anyway, this is an amazing issue. Two special guest stars from way back when, both of whom made me smile very, very broadly. Uh, those certainly highlights, but honestly, the entire book is special. Woody writing by Clarence and Conrad, Neil Gouge's art augments, augmented by Rico Renzi's colors was to die for. Playful, angular, perfect with this story. So thrilled Batgirl continues. Ah, speaking of perfect, Captain Marvel 41 by Kelly Thompson, Juan Fregera, Alvaro Lopez, Jordi Belair, Clayton Cowles, simply wow. Carol's trial for crimes against magic concludes here, and it's quite literally a trial by fire as she faces off in New York City against a fire-breathing dragon. A ballad ends in two very surprising ways. Now, why call this perfect? Kelly Thompson fills this issue with so many perfect moments. Every character that I found myself smiling across every page, they're all just as they're supposed to be. Now, here's hoping Subsex doesn't ever take Ms. Thompson from this book. I miss her so much. Anyway, the main event, only because I had to do this last as I might ramble a bit. Love Everlasting 2, Tom King, Elsa Chartier, Matt Hollingsworth, Clayton Cowles, is well. Now, uh, this issue story sticks to one timestamp, as opposed to last issue with our lead Joan in a Wuthering Heights sort of predicament here, at least until the reappearance of Now We Know He's an Important Character. Uh, uh, look, this series is just the right kind of crazy for me, as with you got all these timey-wimey shenanigans. And what Tom King and Elsa Chartier are doing here remind me a lot of what Miss Chartier did with her Infinite Loop series with Pierre Colonnet a few years back. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And just as with that, when I think I have an idea of what might be happening, 
Forget about it. It it just goes somewhere else entirely, and I give up. I'll let them tell the story, and I'm not going to try to guess or or be ahead of them. I am loving Love Everlasting. And that's Mm -hmm. it for me. Joey, you got a couple of books on here. You want to jump in real quick? Yeah, I'm trying to remember. (laughs) Oh, so first of all, Bob, I too opened up that Ms. Marvel Venom book, (laughs) and I was like, here we go. First of all, as I've already discussed the last three months reading this book, the fact that all of these one-shots are connected, I'm so mad. But anyway, it doesn't matter. It ended up being a great story. I open up the book, and it's like Donnie Brock. And I'm like, who the hell is that? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, what is happening here? It's like Eddie Brock's son. And I'm like, since uh, when? Is that even a thing? Thing? Um. So yeah, but I agree with you. Like it, it was it, it, the Ms. Marvel book here with the team up book, classic team up story, classic one shots. Like the storyline, the reveal at the end of the second issue, linking it to these X Force villains that we're mm-hmm. familiar with, the Peacock people, um, was a cool twist as well. The story, this issue was grotesque. Like there body hard, body horror stuff. City. Yeah, I was like uncomfortable during some of this stuff and it was a little weird for me reading uh, Kamala in that kind of story but I still found it very entertaining and it it definitely sticks to landing so I I enjoyed it it's still weird to me how they marketed it and released this it's just bizarre like why not call it Ms. Marvel team up and just do it like that or why not collect them all together into one big long run I don't know It, it makes no sense to me but it was fun I'm glad that you stuck with it because it made me stick with it. And it was uh, a really great um, uh, romp with uh, Kamala and characters that I would not have expected her to be with. Um, Also with Batgirls, tons of fun. Freaking loved it. It's amazing. Uh, I do not trust that boy in the library. No, don't trust him. One bit. One bit. No stranger (laughs) comes up to you in the library and is like, oh, hello. Let me help you with your ciphers. Like, that is not a thing. No handsome boy wants to help you with your ciphers, okay? Um, But who could that cipher person be? Well, well, they were really leaning. They were really leaning one way there, and it ended up being some Mm -hmm. random dude at the end. But we'll see. We'll see how it all connects. So, uh, no, I love it. I'm so glad this book is still around. It feels like it's gonna be around for a little while, which is nice. Um, There was another book of yours that I read. Love Everlasting? Oh, Love Everlasting. Oh, hell yes, Love Everlasting. <laughs> hell yes, Love Everlasting. First of all, Elsa Chartier art, whatever. I will, I, will, I will read whatever she illustrates. It's fantastic. But the storyline as well, I think it follows up perfectly on the, second, on the first issue. Sticking with the one thread was great. Um, I'm getting a better sense of like the narrative of it, the kind of conceit of it. And when when Joan pulls the rug on all of us in yes. this issue, I I was mouth agape, mouth agape at this issue. So oh. yeah, it, it was a, it was a ton of fun. I'm really enjoying it. Tom King redemption arc. Here we go. Amen. Uh, redemption season 2022. Tom King. Was this a uh, a, ma- a mouth agape on a, on the equivalent of do a power bomb number two? No, no. Oh. <laughs> Do a power bomb is not on my lightning round this week. 
pretty much because all I would say about it is if you're not reading Dual Power Bomb, what the hell are you doing? Because that is the best book out there right now. Um, no, but Love Everlasting was great. I I really really loved it, and I'm glad. So again, it's it's the kind of thing where I I Tom King was really um, the Batcat stuff. I'm waiting for that was really took me off of his, his books for a little while. Um, and I was really in the mode of just waiting for his books to be collected on DC universe. Uh, I did that with Rorschach. Um, and it was great. I loved reading Rorschach that way, you know, and I just, I don't, I didn't think I would be back on a month to month Tom King book. Keep your eye out for that, uh, human target volume one. Uh, it's on DC universe. You should check it out. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's in my queue. I got a bunch of things to read on DC. It real good. I'm going to jump back into Batgirls for a second, and I'm going to try not to spoil this. The One of the guest stars I mentioned is that stranger in the library you're talking about. Really? Yeah. I, I don't know if you have the book in front of you, open digitally or not. But Give me a second. He, he does say his name, and he does mention... His sister. Ah. Uh, uh, no, I'm getting uncomfortable. Uh, uh, <laughs> I gotta scroll through this here. I gotta scroll through this here. It's Where page, I don't know, four, whatever. All right, I got I got handsome Dick. I got handsome Renee Montoya. It's oh, a very you, sexy book. It's, it's, yes, it's back further than that. Yeah, very sexy page book. Three, page of, three. A lot of handsome people in this book. Yes. But he uh, he does mention how his sister loves oh. scavenger hunts and codes and mysteries and things. Interesting. Interesting. I think I might know who you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Could be. Mm. Could be we'll have a guest, another guest star in this book before too long. Whatever happened to... Whatever happened to that book? Uh, DC didn't want to do young adult books anymore, except as graphic novels. Ugh. Right, and those are all great. But I, I, having a, month, a monthly series of books that were—how long did how long did that book run? Do you remember? Twenty something issues total, I guess, between two different runs or three different runs. Wow, we are talking very obscurely here. Yes, that includes the the crossover with Lumberjanes. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Here. Can uh, Can you you want to say it? Go say it. Go say it. I don't don't mind. Gotham Academy. Yes. Yes, and that's that's, that's where we are with this last issue of Batgirls. Maybe I'll add Gotham Academy to my queue. That was a great book back in the day. Yeah. Anyway, right, you, you guys done anyway. being cryptic? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, we're trying not to spoil things because I don't think it everyone's a, caught up with that girl. Book of riddles. It is a book of riddles. Yeah, that's awesome. Riddle me this. Is a riddle? You know what isn't a riddle? What Babs and Dick did last night. Ooh, absolutely. Pretty explicit. Not explicit like on the page, but pretty explicit what they were doing in the apartment. She comes the next morning. She's like, oh, I haven't showered. <laughs> there's, been a, there's been a little bit of steaminess, like even in uh, Nightwing. I ship it. And I know, I know that that's controversial on the show with oh, some wow. of our, our fellow co-hosts. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think Chris is a big dick bad shipper. 
Uh, I don't know. I can't remember. We talked like about it up so many bad relationships. Who <laughs> yeah. said Starfire? Yes, that's Starfire. that was yeah. Chris's one. Yeah, which I also like. The the as a fan of Teen Titans, the show. I get that, but stick it oh. Babs. Stick it Babs. Maybe they could be sister me. wives. I don't know. Maybe. Speaking you know, of. Too, you know, it's just it's keep it open, baby. Speaking of t- uh, Teen Titans, did any of you see the Teen Titans episode with the Zack Snyder uh, cameo? No. no. Okay. So real quick, they did. Uh, it's like, I think, uh, remember what episode it is. It's like something 65. Anyway. They bring Zack Snyder on to the show and he Snyderfies Teen <laughs> Titans. And like the white slow mo? A lot of it, yeah. Like yeah. you like all the all the bells and whistles of a Zack Snyder thing, they find some way to work them in, uh celebrating them while, you know, kind of poking fun at the whole thing a little bit. But there's one moment that I I burst out laughing to the point where I cried. Because it did was you, so damn funny. Did you ever watch Teen Titans versus Teen Titans? Like that that I crossover movie? Did yes. I freaking love that. I love the Teen Titans show. Did <laughs> you so watch funny. the uh, Teen Titans meet the superhero girls or whatever the latest Teen Titans movie that came out? Get out of town, dude! It ends up being like seventy five percent superhero girls. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it was it was very deceptive in its marketing. They're yeah. barely in it at all. Yeah. What they are in though is funny, but like it is not their movie. I was kind of blown away when I sat down to watch it. Nothing will max out that Teen Titans go to the movies. No. Film. Oh my god. That is probably one of the best things. That is that I think scene that's where they're cinema. going back and, and changing <laughs> the past and they go to, to the uh Fortress of Solitude and start playing that bumping song on the crystals. Oh, <laughs> So that is good. peak cinema. That was, you know, that's we. That's when society peaked. You know, pandemic <laughs> right after that. Like everything's Bull been downhill. downhill. Everything's been downhill since Teen Titans go to the movies. Oh god, what did I see? Oh, um, Chip and Dale's Rescue Rangers movie won an yeah, Emmy. That's see, that's what I'm talking about. Chip and Dale's Rescue Rangers was fantastic. No Teen Titans go to the movies though. No. Titans, I'm gonna go watch that after the show tonight. <laughs> you should. You should. That movie deserves to be seen multiple times. Oh, God. All right. Um, I, could, I Every time that I talk about Bandette, I, I tell the same story. So I think I'm just going to say everybody should read Bandette. I, I wholeheartedly agree with Bob. It's a great, it's a great, great series. <sighs> All right. Joey. So, All right. Let's see what I got here. Steve, I got a book for you. Do you now? I don't know. Have you have you heard or read any Survival Street? I have not. I don't even know. I don't know what this is. It's a Dark Horse book. Two issues are out. It's from James Asmus and Jim Fastanti. The artist is Abele Kusanov. Okay. I think I said that right. Colorist is Ellie Wright. Survival Street. Okay, here it is. Survival Street. Imagine this. All right. Society. Corporations have taken over America. Everything is trademark this, copyright this, LLC. Everything's owned by billionaires, and all of the states are yeah. All all of the states are like feudal, like Target Land, and like like whatever. Like it's a create, not that explicit, but like you know, corporate states. And the only group of rebels trying to take back the country 
is a group of Muppets, <laughs> a la Sesame Street, who were big in the 70s. Survival Street. Public, Got it. Public, yep. re- public television Muppets. And now 40 years later, the public has been overruled by the private, and they are the only four standing in, in, in the way of these billionaires in suits. So you got these characters, these little, like, Elmo-looking guys with, like, bandanas and, like, AKs, like, fighting on the streets, like, trying to take out these CEOs, like, running rampant, stepping on everybody's rights. The, I can't remember if it's the first or second issue. This is a couple weeks back. They do, like, a... It's like a it's like a, a a heist it's like a heist movie of these muppets breaking into like a billionaire gala and they're all dressed in little tuxedos like love it. you know love it breaking in trying to like do oceans 11 stuff and kidnap these like CEOs it's awesome and like when they get shot or whatever like little like cotton flies out of their nothing <laughs> oh man it's great like i i'm really enjoying it i think it's a ton of fun I've I've read James Asmus for a long time from back when he was doing Marvel. He did like that Gambit series way back when. Um, I I think it's a ton of fun. I love the satire elements of it. Uh, the, obviously, as you said, you know it's kind of like where we're at now with this kind of like hyper capitalism <clears throat> and whatever. The Sesame Street kind of satire stuff is hilarious. At times, the two coming together is a little on the nose and a little kind of like, um, it's, it's like a little too blatant in its satire. So much so that I'm like, that's kind of obvious, but the premise is such that I, I just have a ton of fun reading it. Some of the characters are like, some of the like Muppets are like suffering from PTSD from like the <laughs> decades of like, you know, <laughs> being like turned out like oh so this happens in the second issue like our main like rebel muppet i can't remember his name but he's like choking desert eagles running around with a cape and stuff um he looks like rover yes we flash back to his like origin story and his origin story is like the see the these like corporate whatever's come to muppet island and like basically like colonize the island and like force them to work in the mines and stuff it's it's like again like the satire is so obvious and and broad there um so like they ship him over to the states to like find work and he can't find work work it's like you know no muppets allowed so it's like playing on all of these like discriminatory practices like the satire is so obvious but then they're just muppets and it's, it's like how asmus and Fistanti are able to reconcile those two Sometimes it works. Other times it doesn't quite work, but it's, it's entertaining enough. Um, so survival street, I'm having a ton of fun with it's two issues in, uh, definitely worth checking out. I was also sticking with dark horse a little bit. I did read masquerade. Number one, this was the Kevin Smith book, uh, for this week oh, with Andrew oh, yeah. Kelfrish and John Springlemeyer, um, colorist colors by Julia Brusco. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I could not, f- Hated it. I. It's not so much that I hated it because I, there's stuff in here about like social media and there's like this weird sci-fi stuff with like kind of like face transplants going on. My problem with it is that the premise is interesting. The scripting and the sequencing, something was off with it. Like I couldn't really follow the plot. And I couldn't really follow who the characters were, who I was supposed to be following, who the hero was. I, I don't know. I, I, if anybody 
is interested. I read it because obviously Kevin Smith's on it. Um, and I, you know, wanted to give him a second chance uh, after, you know, anytime he's done a comic, it's taken 17 years for it to finish. Um, but I don't know. I, I read the first issue and it didn't really grab me and, and I couldn't really follow along with it. I don't know if people at home read it as well and, and thought something different, but Masquerade didn't didn't do it for me. Um, two books that did do it for me, though. Uh, Bone Orchard, uh, 10,000 Black Feathers, number one. Um, this is from um, uh, uh, Jeff Lemire and Andrea Sorrentino um, with Dave Stewart on colors. Uh, so I picked up this one because this Bone Orchard thing is like Jeff Lemire and Andrea Sorrentino's like kind of horror universe that they're building. And a couple of months ago, they did the Passageway one shot, kind mm-hmm. of mini graphic novella. I think John also read and we talked about that was spooky and really, really cool. Like lighthouse level. Cool. Like it was really (laughs) awesome. Um, This is, I read this issue thinking it was going to be that again, kind of like another one shot. It turns out this is going to be a mini series, which is really cool. Um, I was not ready for the ending. I was like, wait, that's it. And then it was like to be continued. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, This is about two best friends, Trish and Jackie, um, who like bonded over like gaming and sci-fi novels when they were in school. Um, and then we kind of flash forward a couple of decades and, and Trish is like an author now and she comes back to town and it's clear that Jackie's no longer around oh. with us, if you will. So she shows up at Jackie's mom's house and her mom's like, yeah, you can come hang out. You're always welcome here. You know that, you know, Jackie, it's what Jackie would have wanted. You can stay in her room, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, and this is a bad like, horror is, movie. This exactly. Is, yeah. Egg frick, exactly. Yeah. Like, I, I'm, like, I'm like, you do not stay in your dead best friend's room at her house. And she's like hearing, like, there's like, the whole thing is like feathers, like the motif of feathers, like feathers are falling. And, and Trish keeps hearing in her ear, like, once the feathers fall, you'll know it's time. And I'm oh, like, God. no, you cool. need to get the hell get out. out of town. <laughs> like, this is not for you. Get out. Um, and that's where the issue ends. And I'm like, nope, nope, wow. nope, 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 nope. So I will definitely be reading the second issue of this. Um, here's what I'll say about this. If you think you know Andrea Sorrentino's artwork and mm. Dave Stewart's colors, this will surprise you. Ooh, hey. There are sequences in this. There are sequences in this where I was like, "Oh, did they get a second artist for these flashbacks?" I flipped to the front. No, it's Sorrentino and Stewart doing the art and colors. So they have really transformed their craft for these flashbacks. It was really refreshing to see to see a Sorrentino book that wasn't like scratches and shadows. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it was it was bright and and vibrant. And I was like, "What? Where is this coming from?" I I genuinely thought it was a second artist, but it, it was really really awesome. cool to see. And uh, I love it. I love it. I love that they get this little universe to play in. I think it's going to be a ton of fun. Um, last book that I, I read was a graphic novel from Image called Supper Club. Uh, this was by Jackie Morrow. Um, I love this book. If you like Surfside Girls, Giant Days, like this is this is this is following up on all of that kind of vibe, right? Um, Nora, Lily, I'll read a little bit of the pitch here. Nora, Lily, and Iris are seniors at Seaside High. Their differing schedules and mounting extracurriculars inspire the girls to form a secret club where they can hang out without sacrificing their future aspirations. Enter Supper Club, the delicious solution to their problems. When life starts to crumble like a cookie under the girls' feet, they rely on comfort food to hold it together. Can Supper Club endure life's most challenging recipes without burning to a crisp? 
Oh, love that. <laughs> it's coming of age. It's all of the kind of trauma of being a senior in high school and going through applications oh. and tests and marching band and, you know, the pressures of family. And, you know, Iris has got some stuff going on with her dad and, and Lily's got some cultural stuff and a boy and all this stuff. And, and Nora just wants to be friends with everyone. And they're all so busy. So they come up with this thing where they like cook on Fridays and it's really endearing when it starts, but as their schedules and their lives get more complicated uh, and the supper club becomes like really the only place for them to hang out, tensions, tensions run high. And it's, it's just a wonderful story about these girls going through it, you know? And the thing I really loved is the, 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 it's, it's like your classic graphic novel structure where it starts in the fall and you move through the seasons. And as the seasons go through the recipes change and you mm. see them grow up and learn a little bit about each other. It's, it's just really beautiful. And the artwork from Jackie Morrow, the storytelling is fantastic, but the artwork is just, it's, it's really wonderful. Um, you know, if you, if you're looking for that, like kind of itch, like that, like high school coming of age book, like this is really, this is really going to scratch that for you. Um, nice. Without any of the super heroics and things like this is a really wonderful graphic novel. A la some of those books that I listed before the, the artwork, Jackie Moore's artwork gave me some of those like Ryan Sy backstagers vibes, oh. you know, a little bit round, a little bit has a little bit of that cartoon element to it, but it just still gives scratch. you the emotion too. Yeah. Just yeah. enough scratch, just enough, just enough kind of, um, edginess to it that that it it's it elevates it just a little bit yeah love it it's fantastic that's me did they give you the that's recipes the you know i i didn't get to the back matter yet and okay. i'm wondering if they will uh i would love if they did if not that's okay because the book is wonderful but i didn't i didn't get to the i didn't go through the back matter in the graphic novel I mean, it, it would be, be nice there. to have their meatloaf recipe or whatever yeah right? yeah there's a couple of things that they were like, I made this. They made like mofongo and I was like, oh, I want Ooh. that. I want that recipe, you know? Yeah. Uh, there's like a dessert they make. It's funny because like the first supper club, they're like, I bought this vegetable tray from the supermarket, <laughs> you know, and Nora gets pissed. She's like, what? Like this is supposed to be us cooking for each other. Um, and then obviously they all kind of get the hang of it going forward. So, yeah. It's like imagine Fight Club, but not. <laughs> like, that, Yeah, that's Fight Club is. with Supper. Yeah, Fight Club, but it's teen girls cooking comfort food to deal with the pressures of high school. That's what we're talking about here. Okay. Yep. So what was the other was because uh, I know it changed name. Uh, Hi-Fi Vinyl Fight Club. That one yes. That love? Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Without the without the kind of like gimmicky, we're gonna like do street fights. You know, right. like. But yeah, exactly, exactly. Love it. Well, Joey. Congratulations on taking home the crown for costing Steve the most money so far this week. <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm going to put it in the chat again just for you, but it's a great book. I well, I already bought Survival Street one and two while you were talking, and <laughs> I already own Bone Orchard Black Feathers. But That's... Supper Supper Club sounds like a Steve book. I need to oh, read that. Yeah, Supper Club is really wonderful, and Supper Club is the kind of book too that I would give people. I love the way that you set me up for that survival street talk, though. You, like, get ready. This, this well, is your jam. I genuinely did not know what to expect. I picked it up because the cover looked ridiculous. I was like, why are these, like, Muppet monsters, like, wielding rail yeah. guns? 
And then I start reading and I'm like, wait a minute, why is this like late stage capitalism satire? Like, what is this book about? And then in the first issue, this is like the opening panel, like the Muppets are just rolling in like a Mad Max death machine down the road. And I'm like, (laughs) what's this? What is this book? Um, For people, for listeners that are curious, the first uh, issue is only $1.99 on uh, Comixology right now if you want to get a taste and uh, check it out. Yeah, man. Good stuff. I'm looking forward to it. I'll uh, I'll definitely pick that up before next week. Give that a shot. Uh, and Supper Club. Oh. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, and Supper Club just sounds like another, you know, one of those heartfelt YA reads that I could uh, oh yeah could do with right now. Would be nice, you know. And like, if if there's one thing that you can always rely on the graphic novel kind of like shelf to have. It's that kind of book that is just going to like warm your soul as you watch like people just live their lives and find whatever gets them through. Whatever (laughs) joy they can find. Yeah. Yeah. Like Bloom. Like I'm thinking about like all those like kind of queer graphic novels that we saw a couple of years ago, like Bloom. Like they're just so bright and wonderful. And uh, what was the pumpkin one? Pumpkin Heads. Yes. Yeah, pumpkin heads. Yeah, like like every every once in a while, you just get one of those books. You're just like this. This is nice. I like this. And they can always be revisited. Yeah, There's a lot no of things great... can't. But the yeah. thing, earth shattering is just okay. People have revelations. Yeah. People understand themselves, and we all need to mm-hmm. understand each other. Yeah. So beautifully yeah. done. Uh, There's no yeah. great darkness and pariah like creating <laughs> multiverse. Like, none of that is happening in this book. You know, like it's. Well, then yeah. I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we go all the way back, right? We go back to seconds, Brian O'Malley, all those yeah. years ago. That those are the oh, kind yeah. of things that set the tone for all these things. That wow, you know, I need to have that Nimona. All these Rain, things that we can always Raina look does. at. Anything Raina Tagemeyer does, mm-hmm. you know, Chris and Gus next graphic novel, the Making Friends stuff, like, and what Stephanie's doing now, like those books will always have a place on the shelf. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Justice League 57 is going to go back in my box, but but those books <laughs> are going to go on my shelf and I'll open them every once in a while and then read them yeah. or share them with my kids, like my students, you know, like they're good stuff. Right on, man. That's awesome. I sense a listener question from maybe not a listener, but okay, go ahead. Sorry. Right. No, you know, it's funny. Uh, when you were talking about Supper Club and the idea of them making an activity to make sure that they stay in touch with one another kind of reminds me of what we do here every week. Whoa. Nicely played, Meta. You can't be getting meta at 8.30 at night on a Monday. (laughs) I mean, think about about how long we've been doing this. You know, like, especially for me, like, this is my way of staying in touch with you guys and keeping you guys in my life, you know? Like not to, you guys aren't getting, you know, together every day or anything like that, but at least you have, you know, like occasionally con or the occasion where somebody, you know, gets together somewhere to do lunch or drink or whatever. And we've been gone for a long time now. Happy hour. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Aaron dropping in on you. Yeah. Surprise. (laughs) You never know. Steve, I was thinking of this about this actually a couple of days ago about, uh, for our 500th, one of the like n- new callers who called in was like, I was so shocked, but so happy that you guys just kept doing the show every week, especially during the pandemic. 
Yeah. Um, that? I've yeah, been thinking that about that a lot too, that we just like, for those, for those first like five, six months when there was just like nothing, there was this. Mm-hmm. And for some people, that's when they found us. That's when they started listening. And, and that's, that's one of the calls from that show that like always sticks with me. Um, yeah, that continuity that you know, we we uh, inside baseball we we discussed all that. What do we do? How do we do this? And it was well, we needed to connect with each other, which was important. And we kind of did feel that you know we needed to connect with you folks out there. You mean a lot to us. Yeah. And when you hear it reflected back to you, nothing better. Nothing better. Yeah. Uh, we've been getting a lot of, you know, we've been putting the email and everything out there and a lot of uh, people have been writing in and responding. And I've been even getting a couple of um, like private messages and DMs and Facebook things. And we got one the other day that was basically uh, just, you know, thanking us for the show and saying what a comfort it is to have every week. And, you know, they feel like a part of the group and everything like that. And stuff like that is so nice to hear every now and yeah. again. Um, it's the kind of thing that really you know, rejuvenates me for the, for this stuff and makes me look forward to, uh, to all the discussions that we have here. And we always find a way to make it work. And, you know, I know like we've got a little bit of a rotating cast this past little while, but I think it's been fun and it's been, it's been nice to have a mixture of voices and opinions and stuff on the show. Different energy every week. And it's all a lot of fun. And as put together all those years back, Steve, you were part of the original crew back start one. Yeah, the the various changes, all the things that have gone on in between, people have stuck with us. People have grown with us. We're friends in real life with so many of you in in emails and direct messages and the rest of it. Who to thunk? Who to thunk? Five hundred and sixty five episodes <laughs> later, we'd still be here doing this. But you know, we love it. We love that you love it. So, and we haven't sold out to Bumbus. Socks <laughs> or 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 anybody else. Skillshare. Skillshare. My brother, yeah, my brother was like, he was like, I was like, yeah, you know, I, I can't. I, I was driving him home yesterday, and uh, he was like, oh, like, do you guys like, um, do you guys have ads on the show? I was like, <laughs> oh, the listeners don't want to hear about socks. Or Skillshare, they want to hear or about my comics. Pillow, but yeah, and my brother was like, and my brother was like, but you're not like selling out; they're actually paying you. And I'm like, listen, listen, listen. <laughs> it's about comics. <laughs> uh, we we did, uh, uh, Steve. You can cut this out if you want. We did have that opportunity once upon a time. Oh, I'm sure we can we do were, those all the time. We were we were we were called by someone from when Ada Cool News was a thing. Some ex, oh, ex, right. expatriate from them wanted yes. to do a a week of podcasts all live, and they approached Bobby with the idea of okay, we could do Tuesday nights. We recorded Tuesdays then, and do our show live, and we could re-release it ourselves on Wednesday, and we would get paid. And it wasn't yeah. it wasn't insignificant. It really was not bad money for doing an two hours worth of work. I was, forgot all about this. It, it was better than plumber money. I'll just put it that way, okay? For those who want to think about things like that, who do home repairs. But what they wanted was, okay, th- th- we have advertisers. So Bobby and the rest of us, we were sort of talking about this. Okay, wait a minute. So if our advertisers include the big three and we want to slag some book because it's terrible, 
and not to our standards of what we want comics to be moving forward, we're going to catch heat for saying bad stuff. Yeah. We're and not sellouts we, on Target Comics, baby. We, we tell you the truth. <laughs> we, no, we all agreed that that was not what we wanted to do. And this was within our first hundred episodes or so. Do you remember the name of the person that made that offer? <laughs> do not put it on the show. It wasn't Harry, it wasn't Harry Knowles. So I'll, I'll just say okay. that. I don't remember. I could go back in my emails and find it, I'm sure. But imagine just for a moment if after that, Talking Comics was somehow absorbed into oh, that web of shit. Yeah, we've no, been we, like, all- we're we've been doing our own thing. Yeah. For a long time. Oh. We anyway. do we we yeah, I mean, you know, not to give too much of a peek behind the curtain, but we we've had many, 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 many opportunities to bring the show in a different direction, a more sponsored direction. Um and we've never done it for any number of reasons. And um, you know, but I'm going to uh, say capital I integrity. How about that? Wow. All of that said, you ever heard of Blue Chew? I'm just Anyway. Give me some uh, Give me some lightning. I a big storm brewing here. All right. First, um, Brahman wanted to be here tonight, but uh, unfortunately she is having a migraine and was Oof. not able to join us. Eventually, one of these days, uh, we will get my favorite person in the world back on the show. Uh, Bobby? It will happen. Yes. Oh, okay. I'm yes, sorry. That's exactly I'm just, being, I'm just being ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she wanted me to throw uh, three webtoons out into the oh. ether super quick. Uh, she would have talked about 21st Century Knights, Covenant, and The Gentle Way. Um, her descriptions in order, they are very fa- they are very quick. So in order, urban fantasy with a kick-ass female lead who may or may not be the villain. Dun, dun, dun. Sold. Okay, okay, B, that you got us. Go. Covenant is all about gay warrior priests, Nuff said. And the gentle way is super soft judo romance. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> what is that? Okay, she's know. three for three. I Yeah. These all Amazing. sound wonderful. Maybe yeah. we'll get her to elaborate um, the next time that she's available. Cool. Uh, she's 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 trying. Those those migraines are rough. Anyway, um, so I did a thing last week. I decided when after we were talking about the Secret Invasion trailer to go and purchase the Secret Invasion omnibus. Ooh. Now look at you. I, haven't, look I know at the big brain on Brett. <laughs> I haven't gotten through the whole thing. It's like 830 pages. Um, so I'm like three something into it. Um, written by Brian Michael Bendis, of course. There's tons and tons and tons of artists on this, obviously. I'll name a few. Uh, there's Lionel Francis Yu, Mark Bagley, Jim Chung, uh, David Mack, Billy Tan, Alex Maleev, and a whole mess of other creatives on these on this collection of stories that revolve in and around Secret Invasion plus the core series itself. Um, so far, gotta tell you, I it was immediately having a really really good time. I have never read any of this stuff ever. Uh, and 
was really kind of taken by how wrapped up in it I got so quickly. Um, so I'll tell you what I read and I'm going to give you short descriptions and my thoughts as we go along. Spoiler alerts for a 20-something-year-old story? Yeah, yeah. No? Hugh, I, I should say, thank you, Bob. Um, yeah. I should say there's going to be significant spoilers uh, throughout this section. So okay. Se- Secret Invasion, if you're curious about it because the series is going to be coming out and you don't want to know anything about it at all, maybe skip my lightning round. But um, I'm just going to get into this here, and, and I, I will be revealing some stuff about the story. Three, two, one, go. Okay, so the book opens with New Avengers number 31. The New Avengers are battling the hand, but when Echo lands a killing blow on Elektra, and Elektra is revealed to be a scroll, oh. it sends shockwaves of para- exactly, paranoia yeah. and mistrust throughout the hero community. I love this as a kickoff to the event itself, kind of the, the, the lead up. The genuine shock of the new Avengers really helps sell the situation. Suddenly, no one can be trusted. It's a universe-wide identity thriller with an alien invasion. Um, This is also the first time that I've fully engaged with a Skrull-related plotline in the comics. Skrull and Kree stuff has never really interested me, like, though... I've only read a handful of stories involving both groups, so make of that what you will. I know there are some really iconic Fantastic Four stories mm-hmm. uh, and the other things. War and blah, blah, blah. Right, yeah. Right. I've not read that. This might be the thing that makes me go back and go and check some of that stuff out. Um, it just... I don't know what it is about the characters, but they were just... They were never a turn-on for me story-wise, and whenever they would show up, I was kind of like, eh. So I was a little taken aback when I found myself really, really just wrapped up in this. Um, Moving on to New Avengers number 32. The New Avengers endure an intense plane ride while deciding who to bring uh, the body of the Elektra's scroll body to for an autopsy. Because the problem with this scroll is that it went undetected by the entire group until it died and revealed itself. So, like, it wasn't detected by magic. Logan couldn't smell it. Reed didn't figure it out. Like there's this whole, there's a whole bunch of factors where I guess they can identify scrolls, maybe through technology or through magic or whatever. Nobody had any idea what was going on. And also there's the question of how long has this been going on? You know, this has never happened before. They need to figure out how the scrolls are masking themselves. Uh, The scenes inside of the plane are great. No one trusts anyone anymore. Carpenter's uh, the thing. Of, what's that? It's Carpenter's the thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's just it, it's such a it's such a claustrophobic place. Mm-hmm. Like even though the the place the the plane itself is pretty snug and pretty sizable and whatever, like you're still in a confined space where you're looking around the room and there's all these very powerful people that are supposed to be a part of your team. But you just found out that anybody anywhere at any time Mm -hmm. might not be who they say they are. And not only that, but they're working against you to overthrow your entire planet. Paranoia, claustrophobia, all the obias. They're all right there. Right. Exactly. So some crazy stuff happens. The issue ends with Spider-Woman basically stealing the scroll body while everyone else is incapacitated because she wants to bring it to Tony Stark. 
that's who she thinks will be able to determine what's going on. Uh, next, we move into Mighty Avengers number seven. I was going to say, Joey, if you want to jump in at, at, at any point, feel free to interrupt me with this stuff. I know you have things you want to say. I like uh, to hear your excitement. Okay. <laughs> it, is, it is great. It is, it is lovely. So Mighty Avengers number seven, Spider-Woman brings the scroll to Tony Stark, who everyone agrees has been acting quite scrolly lately, considering <laughs> the events of Civil War. That's what they say, scrolly. I thought that was a really yeah. great descriptor. Um, Jessica decides to rejoin the Mighty Avengers, and not everyone is excited about it, especially Natasha, which brings me to my first question for the group, and maybe my only question, I don't know. Um, Romanov? Romanova, Romanov, all of them. What all is the them. deal with Natasha's name? It, it's it's, the, it's what, a Russian name. It's the, it's the way Russian gets translated into English. Don't read anything into it particularly. Yeah. Okay. If you read War and Peace, they have like 17 different names. Yeah, there you okay. go. He's not going to read sure. War and Peace all 900 pages, Joey. Yeah. Yeah. I was you like, did, did they... Yeah. Go ahead, Bob. No, it's... It's just everyone describes it slightly differently, and I, I don't necessarily, I, I don't want to spoil or whatever. But don't don't read anything into it necessarily. Okay, because yeah. I was wondering to myself, I'm like, did they change it for the MCU to simplify it for everyone? Like, what is happening here? And I just it, it, well, Tsar Nicholas Romanov, the guys who were executed, he and his family in the Russian Revolution, they're the Romanovs, but that could be Romanov with a V with an F. Yeah. In Winter Soldier, so so Scarlett Johansson's character they, is mainly Natasha Romanoff. But in Winter Soldier, Toby Jones, when Arnim Zola's in the TV, says, Natalia Romanova, yes. born 1986. Yep. He's right All there right. in the TV. You can't, you can't mistrust, you know. Arnim Zola, after all, I yeah, three three names was was a, a little sent up the the red flag for me. I'm like, what's going on? I need to ask. Anyway, uh, cool. this issue ends with a symbiote invasion that hasn't been touched on since at all uh, in the next batch of issues that I've read so far. So I'm wondering when and if that's going to come back around. It won't. It will. It won't. Okay. No, it's okay. done. Oh, it's done. Yeah. Yeah. That was just like that's a hot open for Mighty Avengers, yeah. and then it's like no the so so here put yourself in two thousand and nine, right? And you're reading these books, and you're like, oh cool, like Bendis is doing these books, and like oh he's gonna take the New Avengers to Japan, and they're gonna do a hand kind of thing, like this is the New Avengers versus the hand, and what's he gonna do over Mighty Avengers? And Mighty Avengers was like the big universe book, and it's like mm -hmm. yeah, the Mighty Avengers they're gonna take on oh symbiote invasion, that's so crazy, but then it, it was all a bait and switch because okay. once Electra was revealed as a scroll, that that was okay. it, that was like that's what took over those books. Speaking of, um, oh, maybe I'll talk about the artwork at the end. All right, I'm going to move on to my next book. Uh, New Avengers, The Illuminati, number one. This is the issue where everything starts to ramp up. If you thought that things were going places before, uh, it begins with the leader of the Skrulls amassing his armies for an oncoming invasion. Then Doctor Strange, Reed Richards, Iron Man, Namor, Black Bolt, and Charles Xavier show up and are like, yeah. Don't even think about it. We're telling yeah. you to leave Earth alone or you'll suffer the consequences. Scroll leader is like, screw you. I do what I want. And then mm -hmm. Iron Man asks Black Bolt, what do you have to say? 
and Black Bolt <laughs> lets out, just like lets out a scream that rips yep. through the entire ship, blasting it out of the sky just to pieces, just shrapnel everywhere. It is such an amazing page. I felt it. Like I felt the impact and the the explosion go off. Some scrolls obviously survive. The Illuminati are then captured. Uh, obviously they escape, but not before projecting a giant Galactus hologram in the cosmos to help make their getaway. It's an awesome way to end the issue. Um, and a really cool standout for the event so far. Throwback to FF number two. So I'll get cool. back to that later. All right. Uh, new Avengers number five. A betrayer within the Illuminati is revealed. Destruction reigns from the heavens. A big argument happens and members of the Illuminati go their separate ways. New Avengers number 39. This is an echo-centric issue with Maya, who is portrayed quite differently at this point in her Marvel career. Um, With Maya and Wolverine discovering another scroll on Earth. Uh, can we label this as an invasion yet? Asking for everyone in the 616. This issue is all about trust and whether or not certain members of the superhero community are scrolls too. This issue essentially frames all the things we've learned up until this point to get you ready for secret invasion proper. Um, last but not least, secret invasions numbers one through four that I've read so far. I know there's more to it than that. Um, This part of the story starts in the Savage Land with multiple teams investigating the crash site of a Skrull ship. Once the ship is breached, it triggers a series of explosions throughout the 616. These are big spoilers, so cover your ears. Sword Headquarters just goes up. It is blasted out of the sky. The Shield Helicarrier loses all of its engines and starts falling from the sky you see like planes just kind of floating off the tarmac and, and they'll eventually hit the ground too, which is, which is nuts. Uh, the Baxter building, a scroll poses as Sue and she opens up the negative zone and the Baxter building starts to get basically eaten by the Stuck negative into, zone yes, yes. in this like giant <laughs> vortex. It is absolutely bananas. There are all these kamikaze scrolls, who have inserted themselves uh, in the superhero community in the most vulnerable places and hit them where it hurts. It's really wild. Um, I I'm having like the best time with this. Um, And I guess since I've already spoiled so much stuff, I'm basically, I'm at the point in the story where they, the ship that they were investigating, it opens up and Uh a whole Uh bunch of, Marvel characters, Avengers, you X-Men, got there. Okay. so on and so forth. They all come spilling out of the ship and basically facing the teams that were investigating the ship to begin with. And older versions are looking at newer versions of themselves. And suddenly, as the reader, you really don't know who to trust anymore at all. There's two as, Spider-Man. As the kids say, WTF. Right? Like there's two Luke Cages. There's two mm-hmm. Spider-Mans. There's two, like there's, there's not doppelgangers of everyone, but there's a lot enough. of, there's enough characters <laughs> and cap who is supposed to be dead. Also emerges from the yeah. ship to kind of lead the charge for the other side. And so now there's the question of, 
did Cap die or was he just in captivity with everyone else this whole time? And the the Cap that died was the Skrull or is this a Skrull Cap who doesn't know that the other Captain <laughs> America is dead and is like already kind of given up their, you know, their identity. It's wild. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've, like I said, I, I've never read it before. I've never read anything adjacent to it before. Uh, all the talk about secret invasion. I love stories where I don't know who to trust. I love whodunits. I love mysteries. I love Sherlock Holmes. I love trying to, figure out who's who and what's what and being unsure of every bit of information that characters who I'm supposed to trust and care about are giving me because there are characters that I love who have already revealed themselves to be Mm -hmm. scrolls. And so Mm -hmm. now when I'm reading spider woman uh, down the road, the Al Ewing thing, and we're going through her past and she mentions being a scroll at one point in her superhero career. Oh my God. Now I'm yeah. suddenly reading that story. Yeah. So, and there's this whole thing. This is the last thing I'll say, and then I'll stop with the spoilers, but like spider woman brings the, the scroll body to Tony for a reason. And it turns out that supposedly he's like a sleeper scroll. Yeah. yeah it's bro. not the best reason, right? Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah, like bro. he's he's been kind of like buckied, like programmed mm-hmm. a little bit to have all of these all these world invasion uh, plans Dude. stuck in his head. And like Spider Woman's going to activate him or something. And I haven't reached this, the point in the story where he's revealed or or can decide because one character bluntly asks him, well, are you or aren't you? And he flatly says, I don't know. Well, like, it's, don't. it's a very callback. Look, it's the whole paranoia of the 50s. It's the McCarthy era. Have you now or have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? Yeah. It's exactly. where we're going with this. Huge, huge leap here. And if people want to throw stones at me, go right ahead. This is my favorite Brian Michael Bendis thing ever. Oh, I I, I think of the ones that he so you gotta because I'm Steve, I'm so happy to hear you talk about this because like <laughs> Like we had to do this in real time, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it was harder in real time because this was back when Marvel, even more so than now, was really like when they had an event, it was everything was a tie-in. Like so, it was in all of your books all the time. And I remember like the cover of like my Uncanny X Men had like a green Scott Summers on the front, and I was yes. like, oh, God, yes. it's everywhere, you know. But I think you're right. I think that like if you look at Bendis's run on the Avengers books, you know, his later stuff with the X-Men, what have you, but his run on the Avengers books, the centerpiece of it is secret invasion. Yeah. What follows is great. And siege is a great kind of denouement to the whole thing, but it's secret invasion that genuinely shakes up the Marvel comics for a few Mm. years for almost forever, almost forever. Yeah, for sure. And, and, the Iron Man thing is incredible because I remember like the message boards and stuff around that time when the, when like Electra was revealed and they were like, oh, now Civil War makes sense. Now, I, of course, yeah. Iron Man would. So like, so like when Bendis was like, yeah, maybe Iron Man is a scroll. Like people lost their 
minds. Like was it's, MySpace going crazy at the time. MySpace yeah. was going crazy. <laughs> yeah, Zangas, exactly. you know, it was wild. Angel Fire, it's crazy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I agree, Bob. I think I think Secret Innovation is probably one of the better things that that Bendis has done in terms of those big event books. Um, I I think that the story is fantastic, and I think what the biggest complaint that people have about it. And honestly, they'll probably have the same complaint about the show when it comes out, which is just like, sh- sh- shut, yeah, shut, shut up. up. It didn't come out but yet. Like, yeah. I, I, think that, I think that the biggest complaint was scope. I think that like, you know, it happens all the time with these kinds of things. Like, oh yeah, everyone's going to be revealed to be a scroll, or like so-and-so is going to be a scroll. And then like when that doesn't happen in the story or, or things play out a little bit differently, people were like upset about it. And it's like, bro, like get over it. Like there's a story that's being told. You the didn't write it. Go yeah, exactly. And I think, and I guarantee and you already see those kind of complaints with everything that Marvel does. Like, Oh, like this character wasn't Mephisto wasn't in it, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, get over it. Yeah, no like, one said he not, was. Exactly. And I, and I think, and I do think the television show is going to be on a smaller scale, but I think that that paranoia, and I think that that kind of like whodunit mystery thriller kind of element to it, I think is going to be a yeah. huge part of it. And I think the show is going to be awesome. I think the book is fantastic. I cannot wait till you read the back half. Yeah. Because because you think – and this is – I think this was one of the things that people were critical of. You think Secret Invasion is going to be about one thing and then it ends up being about something completely different. And what it does to the Marvel Universe is – Marvel Comics is, is, uh, again, one of my favorite periods of of the books i'm stoked because i don't know anything you know like like as much as as long as we've been doing this the the scroll talk and the secret invasion references have been pretty few and far between Mm -hmm. and like with my swiss cheese memory i don't remember any of that crap yeah so this is all brand new for me but it's it's funny how it's there are pieces that are being filled in by reading this story yeah. and honestly like it's making me want to think about maybe some other really big things the things that are worth reading that i've sure. missed um sometimes it's really daunting to approach something this iconic and this big like there was a there was one big recap page at the start of this thing and i read it and i was like whew okay <laughs> yeah it's okay a, it's a good thing that i have like vague mem- to like decent memories of civil war because I did read that several years ago, but I, I know, I know what that story involves. Mm-hmm. So this coming as a result of that, um, it was, I was in a good position to read this yeah. one is what I'll say. Now, it's now, also d- moving the forward. Omnibus. Next, next Joey is siege. No, next after this is, uh, well, uh, let's let him finish first, and okay. then we'll talk right. about what we'll, comes we'll, uh, Okay, you're right. Yeah, because yeah, because yeah, it gets yeah. a little dicey. But um, I, I think also the uh, they did a really good job with that omnibus packaging it with Bendis's Mighty Avengers and New Avengers runs concurrently, because you can really read those with the main book and the Illuminati book, and that's it. Like that's the whole story. You get all the good mm-hmm. pieces, like. It, that's fine, fantastic. Now there are some really great Secret Invasion tie-in series that probably aren't there, like the the Runaways, um, Young Avengers tie-ins were fantastic. Um. But but you're but you're getting like you're getting Bendis's 
version of that story, right? The New Avengers, Mighty Avengers book. His through line, yeah. Yes, right? Like, it's what Hickman did with Secret Wars, except, you know, the thing that's a little bit more accessible about Bendis is his books read faster because he really relies on decompression. So, like, (laughs) it's like you can get through those books pretty quickly. As Like, I'm pretty sure also there's some silent issues in the New Avengers run. So, like, you'll move through that very quickly. And it's all feels unified. It all feels like a single narrative throughout. So, like, I'm so excited for you. I think that's such a great run. Um Oh, I can't! I can't wait! I can't wait to can't wait till we get to the next. Yeah, enjoy, Steve. Just well, maybe yeah. not enjoy exactly, but you'll. you'll I'm going to keep. I'm going to keep going with it. I mean, I hate. I hate to put everything else on the back burner, but if if I break away from it and I stop reading it to read something else, oh, don't don't it's going to be that much harder for yeah. me to. Uh, to get back in there, so you know we might have more secret and we'll definitely you, have more secret invasion talk next week. If you want a little bit of fun. No. While you're reading this, no. Uh, Bendis loves Howard the Duck. Okay. And yes. if you if you read through some of those books, you might catch a little Howie running around yep. in the background sometimes. So um, I do mm-hmm. have one little thing about what I've read so far, and this is just this is a complaint that we always have, but I do want to bring it to attention. Um, they were definitely ordering some meals from the Cheesecake Factory for some Mighty of Avengers these stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like Frank there Cheryl. is, Frank, there is definitely some some heavy uh, TNA weird body weird it's weird pe- camera positioning, weird paneling, yeah. weird like it's ass, what, what, ass first. What year is this again? Two thousand nine. Okay, yeah. So pre so pre Captain Marvel. Let's put it that yes. way. But also the art, some of the artists that they got for Mighty Avengers in particular, Mm -hmm. uh, that is something that um, they do often and uh, is no law is is, isn't in vogue. Put it that way. Some of it's really great. Like some of it is genuinely really great. It's just and it's just a handful of panels. It's just that when they happen, they really stand out. Like there's this Mm -hmm. one where spider woman is at, in the savage land and it is just yeah. her butt yes. right up yes, in your I face know exactly with like a, a, stri- yes. a very strategic leaf covering uh where yep. her crotch is her and i'm just like oh come on yeah yeah yep so yep. i don't know the, the the some of the some of the women some of their costumes are extraordinarily form-fitting yep um, we just, you know, little, little, yes, but the, uh, little things like that that just I don't know serve yeah. as more of a distraction than anything else for me. Like I, for I sure. you should, you know, like I'm reading along, reading along, reading along, and then, whoa, 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 okay, oh, okay, um, I'm moving right along. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I, I'm I'm really having just the best time going through this stuff, and um, like I said at the top, like really genuinely surprised by how much I've taken to this and, and not being able to look away. Uh, speaking of not being able to look away. Oh, nice segue. I want to uh, quickly, quickly talk about uh, a show that I went to over the weekend because this was one for the books for me. Um, I know I go to a lot of stuff and I talk about a lot of concerts I have to talk about this one because this one was very special. Uh, I went to go and see 
what ended up uh, attempting to see Spirit Box, Mastodon, and Ghost. Uh, I completely missed Spirit Box because I ended up not making one of my exits and sat in 45 minutes of traffic. And there was some crazy crap going on with somebody not having the password to access their tickets. And instead of asking them to step to the side to figure it out and let other people in, they just kind of stayed there to figure it out. And we're waiting for like confirmation emails. It was this whole thing. Um, So I missed spirit box. I was very upset, Um, but I got there just in time to see Mastodon. Mastodon was spectacular. If you ever get the opportunity, if you like them, go and see them. They're phenomenal. Um, completely blown away to find out that one of the one of the lead singers was the drummer. I was like, who's singing right now? Where's that coming from? Once I figured it out, I was astonished. Uh, he's got a great voice. And the idea that he's drumming these heavy, heavy rhythms while doing this very like almost angelic singing against the really uh, like harsher voice of the group. Uh, just phenomenal. They were great. They played a fantastic set. Um, sounded incredible. Whoever was working the soundboard for them knew exactly what they were doing for that band. Uh, really, really solid show. Then when I was watching Mastodon and kind of marveling at what they were doing, I was sitting there, to, I went by myself uh, and I'm sitting there by myself and I'm thinking, I'm like, how is tonight going to get any better than this? Like you can't, like you can't get better than this. I've never seen ghost before. I only started listening to them within the last few weeks, but like, what am I actually in the, in the, in, in for that's going to be better than this. Then they put the drop cloth up while they were preparing the stage for the band so that they don't reveal what's going on back there. And I'm like, Oh man, this something's going on. This is going to be cool. They come out. They start with like my favorite song on the album, which was just perfect. You know, totally get me in the mood. They drop that cloth and all of a sudden in this venue, we are like inside of this, I'll call it a satanic church with like giant stage uh, stained glass windows, high risers for the, the drum set and seven people in the band all dressed in a variety of masks and nice suits, um, kind of slipknot-ish, but not. Uh, and then the lead singer comes out, and he is just a force to be reckoned with. He is strutting around, marching around, being flamboyant as all get out, commanding the audience, real rock star stuff. The last musician that I had seen control a crowd like this was Nick Cave back in the day when uh, Lauren and I went to go and see him with uh, Nick Cave in the Bad Seeds. Just an absolute phenomenal leader for a band like this. It was so incredibly theatrical. The set list was incredible. The crowd participation was amazing. This was a heavy, heavy metal crowd. Everybody was wearing black or or some variation of dark clothing. People were walking around in face paint, masks, um, like devil masks and stuff. It was awesome. Uh, at one point in the set, they had a mummified Pope wheeled out in kind of like this giant sarcophagus thing. And one of the stagehands goes up to it and puts paddles to its chest. And as they're trying to shock the mummy back to life, all these sparks and flames are flying out of the side of the casket. Eventually this thing comes back to life 
and attacks the stagehand by the like biting his neck. The zombie. How do you yeah. beat that? <laughs> and oh, I'll tell you how you beat it. Okay. During the song called Miasma, if you want to go and check it out, busts out a saxophone and just starts wailing like the, the saxophone man from the Lost Boys doing this saxophone solo in full undead Mommy, hope. hope like garb. Okay. Like, oh, my God. It was incredible. It was incredible. I mentioned the crowd participation. People were singing their asses off. It was a, it was such a good vibe. Like you see all these metal heads walking around and you're like, oh man, fight could break out at any time. If anybody gets too drunk, everybody was so chill. Everybody was just having a great time enjoying themselves. It was tons of pyrotechnics, flames all over the stage, explosions, um, confetti shot out at one point that they, uh, they call mummy dust. And, um, just such epic guitar solos. Oh my God. I have not seen playing like this in so long. Wrapping up really quick, outstanding stage, uh, stage and sound design. There was a really, really nice heartfelt thank you speech. Um, this was the last time that they were here in Canada was five years ago. Uh, they're from Sweden and Stockholm. So they, they don't come here that often. Um, and the lead singer, like, basically was just talking about a little bit about the pandemic, a little bit about touring and how much Toronto means to them and um, announced their final song and basically said, you know, this is, this is a song for lovers, love who you want to love, never let anybody else tell you different. And the entire venue, the stage lighting elsewhere, everything was all rainbow lighting, sending a very clear message to the crowd, everybody singing along. It was a really, really powerful finale to this like hour and 45 minute, 22 song set of some of the most epic music, metal band, whatever you want to call it, like ghost. I will see them anytime that they come to town in a heartbeat. It is, they are the most impressive thing that I've seen probably since tool. And if you know that's coming from me, you know that means a lot. I was speechless by the time that they were done. It was phenomenal. So that was part of my weekend. And I went with gout in my foot. That's how badly I wanted to go. <laughs> um, probably didn't do me any favors, but my God, I will I will remember this show for the rest of my life. It was it left that much of an impression. Uh, um especially for a band that I've only started listening to within the last like month or so <laughs> That's uh, ran- amazing, randomly yeah. and just decided to go because I wanted to see them. And, you know, there are a lot of, we have a lot of listeners that love them and like have seen them and know about them and everything like that. And I just, I never knew. And I don't go to a lot of metal shows. So I don't know if this is like commonplace for them now, but I've not seen anything on this scale since going to see tool because tool always goes all out. And I, you know, I know what to expect from them. I didn't know what to expect from this. And I, I would not have wanted to be anywhere else in the world the other night when I was witnessing this, this was like my whole concert going career. This is, this is probably one of my top 10 shows that I've ever been to. Yeah. It was mind blowing. Absolutely. And they sounded so good. 
oh my God. Like sometimes you go and you see a band and they sound a little different and you're like, yeah, you know, maybe better on the studio album, whatever. Not the case. They impeccable, impeccable. Just and shout out to the people working the boards too, because you, you did a good job and deserve a raise. What uh, size everybody venue, by the way? How big a joint? Uh, this was Coca-Cola Coliseum. Um, it's more of a Nassau Coliseum than a Madison Square Garden. Okay, it was so oddly fifteen thousand, give or take. Yeah, about okay. that. It was it was oddly intimate, or at least it felt. My I had killer seats. I had killer killer seats, like right in the middle, a little bit of a ways back, a nice like caddy corner. Oh, that's uh, the best seat. Set up, yeah, yeah, Love and like seats. I just the sound was coming in really nice. I had a lot of cool people around me. Um, like even like. You know, I talk about the dude bros a little bit on this show. I had like five dude bros in front of me. As soon as they sat down and I saw their beers, I was like, oh, man, I'm in for it now. Like, this is going to be a whole thing. Not the case. Not the case at all. They were all super chill. Everybody was so into, so mesmerized by the show. I had to pee the whole time and couldn't move a muscle because every single time that I thought about leaving, something else happened to keep me there. And so I just held it the whole time. I went to go and leave once. Like I was just about to tap the person next to me to be like, oh, you know, can I get through? I got and <laughs> the stage erupted in flames and there was just wow. fire everywhere. And I was like, all right, I'm not going anywhere now. Um, Thankfully, it wasn't la- water. I'm just saying. No. And last <laughs> last, last thing I promise is um, like there can be times when I'll see a band and I don't know all the songs. And so – you wind up in a situation where they do a couple of songs you don't know, and I can start to tune out and maybe not be as interested in the performance because I'm not familiar with the material. They played a lot of stuff that I'd never heard before. And I was, I was wrapped by every single thing they played immediately. I couldn't move. It was so good. It was so good. Um, Yeah. So that was my, that was my Saturday night after a, 12 day stint of being the boss over at Joe blow while my, uh, my boss was at TIFF. Oh, and I met my boss. We went out for dinner on Thursday night. First time in 11 years that I ever, uh, wow. ever met him. And, and we went out to a nice uh, Mexican restaurant and had dinner and, you know, just talked and went over a couple things And I got to do my first, uh, employee evaluations That's where I, years? I, <laughs> uh, well for me, 11, Wow. And, um, but no, I'm like, I'm in on the ground floor now doing uh, a lot of thing for the site, but my, uh, my opinions and analysis actually matter. And I, uh, I got to participate in the say so of some of our new hires. Mm. So, uh, and I also landed a junket that I don't want to talk about here because I can't, I don't want to no. jinx it, but if it happens, <sighs> okay, I'm done. Would it be weird to talk about it? It would be very weird. Okay, just saying. Weird indeed. <laughs> That's enough. Magical <laughs> and weird. All right. Uh, Aaron, all of this is to say, have you ever read Secret Invasion? Are you no, there? He's, you- uh, no, he's he's giving Mocha her medicine right now. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Sorry. All right. You got to cut that out. <laughs> no, I'm not going to cut that out. That wasn't long enough. We're good. Uh, uh, let's move on to the news. news. All right. 
Uh, new ongoing Scarlet Witch comic series yeah. cast a spell to unlock Wanda Maximoff's full potential. Steve Orlando and Sarah Pacelli. Yeah. Begins yeah, in January. Yes, please. Oh, brand new ongoing solo series. Oh, my God. Give it to me now. She hasn't had um, a solo series since the James Robinson 12-issue maxi back eight years ago, seven years ago? Probably. I would think so. Yes, that's true. That's true. Damn. Yeah, Sarah Pacelli's designs look amazing, and I, I trust Steve Orlando from what he's writing about it to do all the good stuff we want to see from Wanda. Yes. Uh, I'm trying to see if there's any kind of a synopsis. Oh, here we go. Uh, there is a door that appears only to those who need it to work, uh, who need it most, who have no one else in the world to turn to. On the other side of this door is a mysterious witchcraft shop, friend or foe, human or otherwise. If your need is great and your hope is gone, there you will meet the Scarlet Witch. Wanda Maximoff is familiar with hitting rock bottom, and now that she's finally found peace, she's pledged all her power to help others who are languishing uh, at their lowest. But when a woman falls through Wanda's door with a terrifying story of a town gone mad, the Scarlet Witch will have to muster her wits uh, and chaos magic to deal with an insidious threat. Ooh, this sounds cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is Did January? she really find peace in the Trial of Magneto, though? Didn't she Don't die in the start. Trial of Magneto? <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for, I was trying to trigger Joey. Yeah. <laughs> I don't recall that being the case, but okay. This is early. This is January 4th. This is uh, hitting the stands. I really love this logo that they've got yeah. with all the all the gold dust around. This is sweet. And that, that first cover was Russell Dowderman, who redesigned her, her costume. Oh, man. Oh, this is, this is awesome. I'm really looking forward to this. Cool. All right. Um, moving right along here. We got the... Story that I, th- I I always thought we'd see one day, um, but I just I didn't know when, especially with the way things are going over at DC, which we'll talk a little bit more about in a bit. Uh, this is coming from Deadline. Warner Brothers uh, announced that they're doing a Constantine sequel with Keanu Reeves and Francis Lawrence uh, are reuniting and Akiva Goldsman is writing the script and producing with Bad Robots, J.J. Abrams and Hannah Minella. There's a bunch of names for you. Basically, <laughs> 17 years, they are bringing back Keanu Reeves as Constantine, Constantine, however you want to say it. It's good both ways. Uh, I know that – I'll say this. Bronwyn is a huge fan of the Constantine movie with Keanu Reeves. I have loved it every time that I've watched it. I can't remember it worth a damn like yeah. I remember a like a bathhouse or a or a, a jacuzzi or something toward the end, but that's that's the only thing that I can recall. And I know Peter Stormare is in it uh, until this went in. So I need to basically I need to watch this again. Um, but you know, excitement. <laughs> this this is cool. Like you know, Keanu's so hot right now. He is. Constantine was one of those movies that tried to. It's in that space between, you know, Batman and all those things when they were a thing, and then everyone trying to leap on that 
that comics thing before Marvel made up made it work. So it sort of sits in that space. I won't say I loved it. I didn't really love it. I don't mind it. I'm like, it, it can exist. I don't have to be there. But, you know, it, I feel, I wonder, had it origi- had it come out now, like had it come out like post-2009, how it would have been received. Because I don't, I, I feel like it was sort of like, I feel like every, every comics-based movie that came out then was trying to live up to the Supermans or the Batmans and failing. Because no one really, that was the time. And, I, and maybe we've answered a question that we've asked for a long time on this show. Why do they keep going back to Superman and Batman? Because maybe they tried so many other things and they all failed. Yeah, but uh, they, I don't think they, they ever spent enough time and effort to do those things right. You know, we could look at I mean, Steel or Catwoman or whatever, and they, exactly. they, well, true. they cheaped they out on everything. Technically do Constantine right either. <laughs> like, That's yeah. True. Uh, I, I love it too. I'm a big Keanu Reeves fan, but like, if you're hoping for a Constantine that you recognize from the books, you're only getting pieces of it in in this kind of film franchise here, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But I know that there were other projects in the work that I think were going to be more quote unquote accurate. I'll use that term loosely, you know, to the to the to what we know from the comics. So you know, Keanu's hot right now, and. Uh, We'll see how it goes. I think of the many things that they could have announced. This is definitely one that's been kind of hanging around in the community for a number of years. There have been people kind of asking for this in one way or another. Um, mm-hmm. And then given, you know, the continued rise of Keanu Reeves's star uh, with all the, the John Wick stuff and just how much of an amazing human being uh, he's shown himself to be. I think it's a uh, it's a hot time to get uh, a Constantine sequel but going on. I think this is cool. At the time? Was this was a hit? This wasn't a hit at the time, was it? Not really. I don't remember this no. being a hit movie. Yeah. No, I think it's a considered a cult classic now by a lot of people. <laughs> yes, um, that's what they call it. <laughs> I think it's cool that they're getting the, they're getting the band back together uh, to do this between uh, Francis Lawrence and Keanu Reeves. I think it's cool that he still wants to do it because he loves the character. Um, this kind of puts the kibosh on something else uh, yeah. that we'll get to in a minute. Let's jump in. Let's go to that one. It's just a natural right, segue. Go for skip, it. Skip ahead. Skip here. ahead. Um, yeah. Super quick. Um, they're making another Karate Kid movie. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, Look, I love Jackie Chan, Jane Smith's movie. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. I weep like a baby. What? But, it's, but, it's, but that movie is, is not, it's not about karate. His favorite movie of all time, talk. I I freaking love I love 2011's Karate Kid slash Kung Fu Kid star Jaden Smith and Jackie Chan. It is one of my favorite movies. I love it so much. Okay, that I'll explains. Again. That explains your <laughs> thing in the chat that you that you posted right after the new character that was uh, introduced in She Hulk in the latest episode. I was so confused. I was like, that's not him, dude. Oh, yeah, that was a different thing. Okay. Um, but anyway, uh, skip on ahead from the Karate Kid news. Uh, it's been announced that they are uh, delaying. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, they're delaying the Craven and Madam Web, which probably sorry, is Bob, not the I, worst thing they ever did. I jumped to the wrong story. Um, that was a bad segue on my part. Uh, this is a sh- super short one. We'll just do it really quick. Craven the Hunter uh, has been delayed. Uh, so has the Madam Web. 
movie. Um, Craven's been pushed back to January 13th, 2023. And Madam Web has been pushed all the way to February 16th, 2024. <laughs> to never be town. seen again. That's what so, I'm saying. Never, Wait a minute. Never. You're telling me we're getting that Craven movie in like four months? No. You said 2023. Hold on. Craven will not. Oh, wait. No, maybe you're right. Yeah. Ba- um, yeah. Back from. Oh, back from January. Hold on a second. Oh, so I'm sorry. October 6th. They reversed the things. October 6th, 2023 is when we're getting uh, Craven. Yeah. Okay. I was about it's to moved say. back from January 13th. Yeah. It was January 13th, 2023. Yeah, they, they have to gotcha. paint up the Craven before they can make them. I'm all turned around. This is a bad this is a bad presentation of those. All I know is that until I see a trailer, these movies aren't real. <laughs> I, I have to agree with you, uh, especially about the Madam Web movie, although they have cast They're, some pretty cool people in that yeah. thing. And every every article about that Madam Web movie is like, people love it. The script is great. It's a fantastic project. And I'm like, what the hell yeah. is this? Like, who are these people they're talking to? What is this movie that they are watching? Like, th- this, this, you're telling me this isn't coming out for another year and a half, and already people are being like, this is an amazing movie. <laughs> Get hyped. Yeah. Uh, going back to the Constantine stuff, J.J. Uh, Abrams is... is Constantine series uh, is going to be shopped around and joining that is also the Madam X or Madam Xanadu series that they were working uh, on. This will be not scrapped, but shopped elsewhere after HBO Max passes. Here's my question. Um, And I should know this, but I don't. If it's not going to be on HBO Max, where does this place? Where does this stuff go? The CW. <laughs> nowhere it goes. Nowhere it goes, goes nowhere. into the, someone's hard drive, and then it's yeah. it's gone. Unless Hulu or Tubi or Peacock. Or well, that's my question: is like who steps up to scoop these things if they even want them? I think they would be stupid not to do uh, another Constantine show, uh, especially if they have a good idea for it. Are you surprised? It doesn't no, matter. No, no, I'm, I'm not surprised if, by if, any of this. Dude, if, I'm, if, if Warner Brothers Discovery is like, we can make a movie with Keanu Reeves using this property, then they're going to do that. Yeah. Because the show is not going to make them any money. Yeah. I'm not surprised it's by cost anything them anymore, <laughs> to be yeah. quite honest with you. I would be a lot more excited or I would care about this a lot more. Like I said earlier, if this was the Jenna Coleman, Constantine, Sandman spinoff that was then being called into question, then I'd be upset. Yeah. But well, it's like, like, like go through the steps here, right? Zaslav comes in, Warner Brothers Discovery comes in. They start slashing HBO Max projects all the all over the place. A few months later, they had they greenlight a sequel to 2002's, 2005's <laughs> Constantine starring yep. Keanu Reeves. Like what? Like that logic is not that hard to follow. You know, it's like we have a property, we have a star attached to it. There's a there's a cult following for it. There's there's money to be made on this film. Why are we pouring it into an HBO Max TV series? You know, like that's the logic, and that's and it's not it's no surprise. It's no surprise. They want ten mm-hmm. poles. That's their new deal, right? Yeah. Yep. Gotta make that money. But um, I'll say we'll save the the Batgirl thing for last to end on a high mm-hmm. note. Um, speaking of old uh, old David Zaslav, old Dave. there, old Davy Zaslav. 
uh, he's he's not having the best time. He <laughs> says uh, in the sling. Yeah, Water Brothers Discovery. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't even hear that. What'd you say? He said it. I said All right, I'll leave, I'll leave it. I'll, I'll yeah, no, I, I'm not doing it again. You've got to look it up. All right. So this comes from a story, uh, Hollywood Reporter. Um, Warner Brothers Discovery has bigger problems than its DC search. This is basically in reference to uh, the whole debacle with Dan Lin and the idea of bringing him on to be a Kevin Feige-like figure. That didn't pan out. We talked about that last time. Uh, and the big, the, the big takeaway from this article for me is that outlets have been doing some investigative reporting by talking to a lot of these people that have been directly affected by this Warner Brothers discovery merger thing and all the hacking and slashing that's going on, whether it's the animation department who have come forward saying that they have no idea what's going on. Uh, on a daily basis, they don't know whether their projects are continuing or not. The communication has been terrible. A uh, bunch of people have lost their jobs, and basically people are coming into work every day feeling like it could be their last, uh, which is a terrible, terrible way to be in your job. That that uncertainty can really, really weigh on you, especially when it's you're working on projects uh, that you care about with people that you really enjoy and like being creative with. So that's terrible. But the... Takeaway from this article for me was that there are people that are either above or adjacent to David Zaslav that are watching him to see what he does within his his grace period, if you will, of coming on to make all these changes. And basically, the takeaway is that they're not happy with a lot of the decisions that he's made so far. Um, between the firings, there are people that are, have been with the company for a long time that are looking to leave Walter Hamada being one of them. Uh, he may hang out for the black Adam movie release, but after that he's gone. Uh, if he's not gone before that. Um, and so there's a possibility that if Zaslav continues to piss people off, and make these really shady decisions, positioning DC as this very white, very um, non-inclusive environment that he might be gone as well. And the search for this Kevin Feige-like figure is kind of really up in the air because it's not, it's, it's not being orchestrated well on Zaslav's behalf. And any opportunity to zing this guy after he's made such terrible decisions and have put people's futures in peril, I will take it. Screw David Zaslav. Anyone Amen. else? Amen. Do you know the thing is it, 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 at some levels it is too late for certain projects. They're gone. Mm-hmm. And certain things that got canned are maybe they're moving to somewhere else or may never. Once you get the stench on them, sometimes you can't get them recovered. And it is great that finally someone's calling into question this bean counter who's mm-hmm. making decisions not from an artistic standpoint, but from the bottom line. I know it's show business. I get it. But uh, you have to think long term. And that's the whole Kevin Feige idea, right? He's had all these plans in place. Even if sometimes it's a little haphazard, 
they still had an idea at Marvel. They built a, a universe from the ground up, and DC tried to short-circuit the whole thing and do it their own way, and it didn't quite work. And right. having someone with more vision is going to be great. And I think Mr. Zaslev is going to find himself hitting the bricks. Yeah, this article also talks about the idea of DC being in a really unfavorable position given the success of the Marvel Universe and how a lot of people don't really remember how rocky the start of that really was because it is so powerful and so popular and everything now that, you know, it's kind of hard to remember when it was still finding its footing. But um, but see, their rocky start, though, was solo movies. Iron Man, mm-hmm. a couple of those, a Thor, a Hulk for Universal, Captain America. And those movies all did okay. None of them were... Iron Man made more money than the rest. Yeah. But it was when you got to the point where you got to the end of the first Avenger, Captain America will return in The Avengers, and they run the post credit sequence, and the whole world lost their collective marbles as, I gotta see The Avengers, and they put it together, and it took off from right there. One of the key differences, too, is that at the beginning, Marvel Studios was an independent studio. And places like Paramount and Universal and ultimately Disney were just acting as distributors, Mm -hmm. right? Uh Warner Brothers Discovery is a huge conglomerate corporation that has a lot of stake in the success of these IP that they purchased, you know? Marvel, the independent years at the beginning there before Disney bought them, they were just they were literally any of those projects could have turned the whole thing <laughs> like like it could have failed yeah. at any moment, you know, um, and that it was and that it was such a small team. Kevin Feige, John Favreau, Victor Alonso, Sarah Haley Finn, like that it was such a small team at the beginning really kind of allowed them to get around some of this like, you know, show business corporation merger blah 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 nonsense that has been holding dc back at sorry that has been holding warner brothers from making good dc movies for the last 10 years it's editorial it's cutting it's this it's that you know and and we see that every every one of these movies suffers because some producer somewhere with you know their name on a plaque is is making all the wrong choices because they they, it's going to sell they have a parking combination of things it's a combination of things. I think listen look at the names that you list you rattled out there before. None of them were big being counters. They also had faith in the work that they were doing and they were willing to ride it out to sort of see where it went. We have this plan, we're gonna commit to this plan. Now granted, yeah, it all could have had had had, had everything gone the route of say 2015's Fantastic Four bad, then you know, maybe <laughs> another situation altogether. But they had the confidence. They had a path forward. They stuck with it, primarily because those were more those names that you rattled off were more of the creatives types. They yes. they they saw the vision. They they came they came up through the ranks of the creatives, whereas the people that are on the Warner Brothers site, like you said, you know, for all we know, they could have been like hawking lawnmowers for some major company, you know, <laughs> ten years ago. Who knows? Um. And so they don't have that vision. So they and they're not obliged to sort of stick it out. So and to the previous point where, where Steve that you made about there, you know, the others, the laterals at, at at Warner Brothers is watching to see they're they're 
they're not watching from the perspective that they want to make sure that the company puts out a good product. They're watching to see how much of their 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 revenue he's going to impact, you know, or their ability to generate revenue he's going to impact. And this is going to align with, all right, are we alienating the creatives that are going to have the next big thing? Mm-hmm. You know, because we because they don't have the confidence that we're going to follow through with their product. You know, are we who's going to want to take a chance on doing a product with us if they put two years into FEQ development, pre-production, production and post-production? And then we say, eh, you know what? Nope. Because essentially you're you're basically saying, yeah, we want you to commit this two years and then we're probably going to there's a strong possibility that we can, you know, trash it. And that's two years that you could have spent doing something else that somewhere will else. get out there somewhere else that could, that will gotten out there. So I think there's just a variety of things that play there. And I think they're, they're reaping what they sowed. They didn't have confidence in the direction they were going. They, I think they, they stuck their hands to, they should have just let a group of creatives run that area. They should have taken the lesson you you can't come back now and retrofit a creative over a whole bunch of corporate mandates and try to come up with gold. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's just not going to work. I think that is evident. And I'm just going to say it. Fight me if you want to. That's why you have a rock, uh, you know, heading a movie, leading a movie that nobody asked for. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm just going to say it. That's exactly why it is. There's no other reason for the rock to be in the DC, uh, you know, universe. No reason at all. I think you um, raise a good point. So, you know, I, 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 I don't think we're going to – nothing good is going to come of this. It's just going to ride itself out, and then we're going to forget about it, and then who knows what will happen. Maybe, maybe that will be for the best. Um, before we get away from this, I just want to read uh, a, a portion of this article because it kind of summarizes some of the things that we, we've spoken about uh, super quick. Given the company's daunting challenges, it has become accepted wisdom at the highest levels of the industry that another deal waits in the wings for Warner Brothers Discovery. For reasons related to this complicated structure of that merger, no negotiations can happen until April 2024. But at that point, many industry observers believe that Comcast's Brian Roberts will make a long-awaited move looking to combine NBC Universal and Warner Brothers Discovery. Oh, Jesus. That deal would face some interesting antitrust issues that would give his company scale a viable streaming service. Obviously, Peacock sucks, says one exec with knowledge of both companies. There are some good synergies, I'm sure. Uh, Roberts is licking his chops because the WBD stock is so low. And I think that Zaslav's Endgame uh, gets the place sold. Um, chill out money to Zaslav and a board member, John Malone, during the Allen and Co. Blah, 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 blah. Moving on. Many top industry execs are so convinced a deal will happen that some are pre-mourning an event that may never happen. People feel like it's Comcast for sure, says the head of one company. It's going to be so depressing to lose another major studio after Disney bought Fox and Warner's uh, was the Tiffany studio. Uh, Last thing, the uh, of course, an obituary is premature. Maybe Warner's will do a deal with Comcast. Maybe not. Meanwhile, Zaslav continues his quest to find a DC superhero, but it seems possible that eventually DeLuca and Pam um, Abdi now acting heads of the division will end up running the thing by default. 
So if Zaslav gets the boot, uh, DeLuca and uh, Abney could be in. Um, DeLuca was a comic collector as a kid, and years ago at New Line, he made Blade and even had an Iron Man movie in development. Uh, Mike was championing and scratching at the surface of this comic book universe long before it became the thing that anybody, the only thing that anybody is interested in seeing, says one longtime associate. I don't agree with that last statement. Longtime associate at Warner Brothers Studio that can't figure out what they want to do. Okay, great. Super. (laughs) So it sounds like, uh, it sounds like things continue to be a little shaky over at, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery and, uh, Maybe you maybe you're pissing off the wrong people. Look, there. Maybe, I just yeah. think it's time to double tap the studio on the back of the head and start something new. Mm. It is Warner Brothers and and what they meant to movie history. Look, Jack Warner personally was a creep, and so was nearly everyone else who ran a studio. But what they did through the years of Cagney and Bogart and Betty Davis and Joan Crawford and and that studio. What Warner Brothers became when they bought up the, the libraries of studios like RKO and, and the MGM library from the 30s and 40s, it's a treasure trove of wonderful intellectual properties. The, the comic book universe that they own, I'm a Marvel guy. The DC universe has the best characters of all time. It's Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. How do you screw that up over and over and over again? It's not the right people in charge, and it doesn't sound like they're getting there anyway. Now it's all about the bottom line, and this stuff they're talking about here is the same stuff. Let someone with some vision look at this stuff and fix it. Please. Please. Yep. Speaking of fixing stuff up, Ooh, talk about saving done. Batgirl, too. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. uh, to end this on a high note and cap everything off, uh, we would like to give a boost and some attention to Saving Batgirl. Uh, this is basically a v- VFX team's impressive fan-made trailer. This was made by production studio Corridor Crew, who have an extensive uh, YouTube channel of stuff that they've created. But essentially what they did was they took existing footage and known ideas about Batgirl and made their own trailer with it. Um, Bob, you could probably talk more yeah. about this if you'd like. Go ahead. Came, came across it the other day. It was it was on CBR. We'll give them all, all the credit. And it, it's all over the place on the internet by now. And they used footage from Justice League, the Keaton Batman. They cast an actress named Jordan Coleman, remade the Batgirl of Burnside costume, and through this trailer together, it's it, it, it's the trailer begins about twenty minutes of their presentation. It is a lot of fun. It has the right attitude. The footage they chose is brilliant. If the movie was half what this trailer is, it's it, it would have been great. And that we're never gonna. This is as much of this movie as we may ever see. <laughs> Makes me really sad. I I was. We all here were excited to see what a Leslie Grace Batgirl movie would have been and that it was canned for a a tax write-off so that we can't ever see it. Go see this. Go check out CBR. Go to their, uh, the Carter Crew uh, YouTube channel and check this out. It's It's a great way to spend about an hour watching how they made this, why they made this. Their passion for the project just absolutely shines in every frame of what they did here. Go, go watch this. 
enjoy yourself. I I watch um I, I subscribe to Corridor Digital. They're just a they're like a tiny little VFX house and, and they really um came to fame the last couple of years. They do these VFX artist reacts videos every weekend. And they go through not only just like computer animated stuff, like computer CGI stuff, um, but they also talk about like old, old, um, old Hollywood films and, and anything that has interesting kind of filmmaking magic in it, um, use of mirrors and effects and all that stuff. So, and they sit on the couch and they break down clips. And I have learned so much about movie making from just watching these movies and I, uh, from watching these guys and. I've learned so much about uh, like how some of our favorite stunts and and tricks and sh- camera shots and all these things have happened through their expertise. And they bring on people from Weta and and ILM and stuff to, to chat about their movies too. And they have kind of a, a, a spinoff series called Stuntmen React. And they bring on stuntmen and stuntwomen to talk about like huge stunts from Jackie Chan films and Mission Impossible and all that stuff to get those breakdowns of how these movies are made. And, and it's really awesome. Uh, a couple of clips like, you know, they'll be like, okay, so now this week we're going to light this guy on fire and they like <laughs> light him off. Like they show you how to, so like they'll do stuff like that too. So it, it's a really awesome channel. They do a lot of great work and, and they, they boost a lot of, of really cool talent on their show too. So I subscribe to their videos. They're pretty awesome. That's cool. Yeah. I watched the video as well. And uh, I, I always love seeing like behind the scenes stuff and how things are made. And there was obviously a lot of passion that went into making this, like watching them 3D print the mask and then putting uh, putting it on for the first time and seeing how yes. good it looked. Uh, the actress playing Babs is fantastic. I love her energy. Um, and yeah, this was just obviously a group of people that love film and love to get creative. And it was a really cool thing for them to try and boost uh, awareness of what happened to this movie by making this trailer and putting out this footage uh, it's a lot of fun. I highly, highly recommend going to go and check it out. Uh, again, that's Corridor Crew who put this together. You can go and check out their YouTube page. Um, and I would watch I would watch their Batgirl movie. I would watch the Batgirl movie. Yes. Stupid. Oh, man, I'm going to break in. I'm going to steal that thing so we can all watch it. So, yeah, please I talk about should. it on the air. <laughs> <laughs> Probably shouldn't reveal. Yeah, okay, Danny Ocean. Yeah, you kind of blew that one. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Nobody's nobody will believe me. They'll be like, it was somebody else. Uh, all right, um, that's gonna do it for the news. News. Like I said, we uh, we do have some uh, listener questions and stuff, but we're gonna save them for next time. Uh, this ended up being uh, nice, beefy, but very focused i feel like it's been a while since we've had a focused show and i think we did it yes we Do did i'm trying not to say anything else bob agrees with me <laughs> Aaron's with like you. i don't know what are you talking about <laughs> joey silent over there whatever hey joey joey's asleep joey knows how hard this is all right uh, i'm not gonna say anything <laughs> <laughs> uh let's talk about the books that we're looking forward to <laughs> this week bob what are you picking up 
there's a Harley Quinn anniversary with all sorts of wonderful creators, including Amanda Connor, Jimmy Palmieri, Shea Parnshayich, uh, and that's out this week. Of course, it's $10 because it's DC, but, you know, still. Elvira in Harland, number four. We have FF47 by David Pepos. We have a Jane Foster and the Mighty Thor, number four. Strange, number six. Avengers Forever, which is a Carol Core issue. Catwoman 47. And there's a book called Creepshow coming out, which looks interesting. It's getting to be Halloween time, so I may check that one out. Ah. All right. Uh, Joey, what is in your pile? Uh, Public Domain, number four. Shirtless Bearfighter 2, number two. Uh, R.L. Stein's got a new one out. Stuff in Nightmares, number one. From yep, boom, yep. boom, that looks pretty cool. Um, Exterminators, number one. Leo Williams, Carlos Gomez doing a Boom Boom Jubilee Dazzler team up. Ooh. I'm there for that. Duo, number five. Nightwing, 96. Um, a couple of IDW books look interesting. A uh, graphic novel called Donuts and Doom. Well, which, um, <laughs> yeah. Something about witches and pastry. I don't know. Well, I'm down. Whatever. Let's do it. Um, and a book called Crashing. Uh, first issue of that. Looks very interesting. Something about a superpower hospital, something or other. I'll, I might give it a shot. Um, and another anniversary issue on my end here, too. The 40th anniversary issue, New Mutants, number 30. Um, not $10. It's only 6 bucks, but I'll, I'll probably get that one, too. All right. Aaron, what is uh, possibly on deck for you this week? I feel like I should just go cold turkey and stop this week so I can catch up on the stuff that I haven't read. You could do that. That's an option. But uh, but uh, World's Finest, number seven, FF47, uh, AXC5, Dark Crisis, Young Justice 4, which, I, you know, in the end, I'm not loving as much as I thought I was. Legion of X, Exterminators 1, Jane Foster, and Duo 5. All right. A- AXE's got to be over soon. No? Is it eight issues? I don't know. I thought, yeah, I think John said it was seven issues. Am I remembering correctly? No, that was Dark Crisis. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Let's find out. I don't know. I don't know. All right. For me, uh, I'm picking up Batman the Knight, number nine, Batman Superman, World's Finest, number seven, Catwoman, number 47, Nightwing, number 96. Fantastic 447, is that coming out this week? Yes, it is. Yes. Okay. Uh, Strange number six, one of these days I will actually read past the first issue. Looking (laughs) forward to it. Uh, Exterminators number one, I'm going to check that out. Public Domain number four, Shirtless Bear Fighter two, number two. Stuff of Nightmares number one. And Vanish number one, I'm going to check out. This is uh, Donnie Cates and Ryan Stegman, I believe doing a new book. Um, I'll give it a shot. Why not? AXE Judgment Day is supposed to be six issues long. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, meantime. How that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to continue with Secret Invasion, so mentioning all these books might be all for naught because I got – another 500 and something pages ahead of me, which uh, I'll yeah, try to get there. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, I think uh, anybody have any closing statements, any birthdays they want to wish? Nope. Nope. Anything of that, that nature? No. All right. Uh, we have, re- we've reached yeah. the end of this week's edition. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Don't do this to me. 
We've reached the end of this week's edition of the Talking Comics Podcast. As always, you can send us your comments or questions through our email podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. Again, that is podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. Send us your questions. Send us your quizzes. That was a lot of fun last time. Um, like I said, we'll kind of like meter those out, but we will definitely hang on to them and give them a look if you send them. Uh, it was a great time. And everybody, everybody listening gets to participate. So it's fun. If you're willing to put in the effort, we will check them out. Uh, we are also on Twitter at Talking Comics. We've also got Bob, who has an email. Tell Bob Blyer at TalkingComicBooks.com. Joey, how do people find you? At Joey Regina. Aaron. No one cares where I am. What? Stop. (laughs) At Aaron J. Amos. Jeez. Uh, John is at John P. Burkle. Uh, I am at dead underscore anchoress. Brahman is, of course, shiny baby B. And Chris is the myth of Psyche, as well as numerous other. You can find them anywhere. So (laughs) just go and go and check out. Go and check out the Gotham Outsiders. The uh, go on their podcast feed. The audio for their FlameCon panel is up uh, for everybody's listening pleasure. It's a good time. Uh, You were there, Aaron. You would know. I actually just got a survey from FlameCon literally while you were saying that in my email. Hey. Look at that. There you go. It's like when you say something and then an hour later an ad for it shows up in your phone. Terrifying. Big brother. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks for joining us. We hope you are well. Uh, Be excellent to each other. And until next time on the Talking Comics podcast, to be continued.